The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. Um, CNN at one point in time, when Bourdain had a show on, they were doing some very interesting things. They were trying to uh, do shows, not just the news, right? So they had no no reservations was the best one of them. Where they had, you know, they just told Anthony Bourdain, just be you and just do what you do. Do your best version of your show. And they really just got out of the way. And it was fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So they got out of his way. They let him be yeah. the best of himself. Yeah. They figured yeah. out how to do that. You know, Kamal Bell had a really good show, too. Is that show still on? What was that show called? I'm sorry, I forget the name of these shows. But uh, W. Kamal Bell was really good at being like calm. He, he's Shades of America. Shades of United Shades of America. Really good at being calm, like talking to like KKK people. <laughs> and he's black, and he's a comic, okay. but he's just like a very nice guy. He's yeah. a very nice guy, like a genuinely nice guy in real life. And so when he's doing a show, even when he's confronted by the most ignorant racists and he, he can have conversations with them and then and you know they're like well you're not like the others you know? <laughs> <laughs> well that's the best kind of journalism you know you, you got yes. to, you, you can properly immerse yourself in those worlds yeah and cnn did that for a while you know they had that other show was it radical with uh that one gentleman who um reza aslan is that his name that was another good show. They did some interesting stuff. They did like quite a few interesting shows where they were just shows. It wasn't what it is now, which is this like bizarre version of news TikTok oh, right. just grabbing you with everything that's going to terrify <laughs> you every day. And there's so much to terrify you about today. You know? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, they, they seem to have lost the art of storytelling. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. So, ladies and gentlemen, we started this podcast after a long conversation about Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> but I felt like we were already rolling, so let's just roll into it. Um, I really enjoyed you on Trigonometry. Oh, and that's you. why I wanted to uh, talk to you here. Because it's just, I think your book is The Status Game. That's right, yeah. And I think what's really interesting about what you're, you're talking about, um, mechanisms that make people understand like behavior patterns in a way instead of just accepting them you know because i think a lot of people fall into accepting behavior patterns but what you're what you're showing is like these status games that human beings play they're sort of wired into our our being and we don't recognize them they can get hijacked by far right movements or far left movements or a lot of different things can happen that can really screw your yeah. life up yeah. if you get hijacked by these just normal mechanisms of human thinking. That's right. That's right. So I, I think sort of the general thesis is that the humans want two things. They want connection into groups. And then once they're in the group, they want status. So, so, so um, you know, it's, it's not enough to feel like we're a Christian we have to be a good Christian, and right. that means following certain rules. And and, and that's what that's what brains just want to do. That that brains don't really care about what's true. Brains are always asking this question: Who do I have to be, and what do I have to believe, in order to earn connection and status? Yes. And we're all vulnerable to this stuff, and yes. that's how people end up believing fucking crazy things because the brain's just believing what it has to believe. I've seen it with people that get what the, what you call audience capture. 
Yeah, where absolutely. Their audience, yeah. they find, they get some love. You can only, if you're doing it politically, you can only do it once. It's a dangerous <laughs> move. It's like changing g- genders. Like you can't go male to female and then back to male again. It's fucking it's too complicated. It's a one shot right? deal. Yeah, so you yeah. get one shot. Yeah. If you start out a liberal, you're a lifelong liberal. Yeah, and then yeah. at 36, all of a sudden you become like the most hardcore right wing Republican. <laughs> like, yeah. that seems like, I, well, what did you believe before and what happened? Did you take mushrooms? Did you fall on your head? <laughs> did something happen yeah. 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 where you just radically changed your ideology? Or did you get captured by the idea of being accepted with much more vigor by the other side? Like, that's one thing that they really do enjoy when someone bails mm. on the other side. Mm. And then, again, you can only do it once. But you get, like, really embraced. That's right. And, and, and the more you're embraced, the more you um, believe. And, and yes. you, yeah, I mean, there's this concept that I write about. That I, call, I call it active belief. Like, there are loads of beliefs that we have, like, how long is the Mississippi Ripper? How, you know, what, how do you, what, what is coffee? Like, we don't argue about these beliefs. But there are certain categories of belief that, that possess us. And these are the beliefs that, that, that we form our identity around and they're the beliefs that we plug our status into. So, you know, like if you're a Christian, it's like I believe Jesus died and then three days later got up. And, and as I said, you know, like the, these beliefs are kind of dangerous because they take us over. It's not enough just to believe them passively. You have to act them out with your life. Mm. And so that these are the beliefs that drive things like the satanic panic, cult movements, communism, Nazism. Um, th- these are beliefs that sort of possess people and take them over. It's like a parasite. They're kind of scary things. But as I said, you know, we're all vulnerable to these kind of active beliefs. I, I'm fascinated by cult documentaries. And uh, <laughs> I was talking to my friend Todd. We were talking about Wild Wild Country. And we both uh, said yeah. the same thing. God, in the beginning, it looked awesome. <laughs> in the beginning, it looked yeah. there. They were yeah. having so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of myself at 21. And I, I had no real, like, confidence in my view of the world. Mm. I had no – I was 21. I was a, a young dummy. Yeah. I did not know, you know, what was correct and what was incorrect. I, I, I had a general sense. My family was very left-wing. We grew up – my parents were hippies in San Francisco. So I had sort of an ideology attached to that. But I had no idea – how anything in the world worked. Yeah. And if I ran into the wrong yoga teacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's it. But, but, that, but, but that's how humans work, you know, with this tribal animal. Yeah. And, we, uh, and, and nobody has any idea how the world works until they plug into a group. And the group has its stories that it tells about how the world works. Every group has its model of what a hero is yeah. and this set of beliefs a hero has. And, and once we've plugged into that group, we, be, you know, we, orient ourselves towards becoming that yes. that person and you know cults are interesting because cults are like all human groups are kind of cults but looser so so yeah. e- every human group is a status game in the sense that it's a, a group of people who um, believe the same things and there's sort of rules for being part of that group and the more the, the better you become at following those rules and, be, and becoming its ideal of self uh, the higher you rise up that status game the only difference between cult and a religion and a business and a political group is just that it's much tighter. So mm. the rules are much stricter. Like there's a zillion rules. Like, um, you know, I've written before about um, uh, what they call the the the, 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 uh, the, the there was the what was the cult that they cut their 
they castrated themselves. Yeah, Heaven's Gate. Heaven's Gate. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and they had rules even about like how much toothpaste you're allowed to put on your your toothbrush. <laughs> they had a they had a rule about exactly how how scrambled eggs were to be cooked, and the rule was dry but not burnt so th- there was a rule about how much bar- water you put in your bathtub and and was the leader caught was he castrated as well no he wasn't surprisingly enough really yeah they were called tea and dough and that yeah, guy. there he is tea yeah <laughs> just yeah. just yeah. imagine you are so low in your life that you think that's the guy that has all the answers is that a tribal thing this is what i've always assumed that that's just some holdover from when we were a part of groups of 150 people that needed a leader and generally, that leader would be some old warlord. He's probably like <laughs> 35, like, you know, back then. But he like, had gone through a lot and was a strong leader, was someone that you admired as a leader. And maybe in, in these tribal times, that's baked into our DNA. And when someone comes along and speaks confidently, yeah. I am never confident. I'm yeah. never confident. About <laughs> if, you, if you're so confident about all these thoughts and about where, what life is about and where we're going and what awaits us. And if you follow these rules, God, that's so confident. I'm not that confident. So I could get sucked in. Yeah. Any uh, human could get sucked in. But is that what it's from? Is it from tribal times? Y- yes. And- this episode is brought to you by LifeLock. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of the year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash J-R-E. That's LifeLock.com slash J-R-E to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hostage Tape. First of all, what a great name. Um, this, is a, this is a product that I use, and I started using long before it was an ad. Your sleep game is about to get a whole lot better, kids, because I want to introduce you to hostage tape. Put simply, it is tape for your mouth. But you're probably wondering why you should even need that. Well, if you're a mouth breather, if you snore a lot, or if you suffer from sleep apnea, this could make a big difference. This mouth tape can reduce or eliminate snoring and apnea, and at the same time, it'll help filter the air going to your lungs, increase your oxygen uptake, and improve circulation, which will make you feel more energized. It has tons of other benefits, too, like it helps with bad breath, dry mouth, and, of course, better sleep. For you and your partner, don't let bad sleep hold you hostage. Shut your fucking mouth with hostage tape. Buy it today and get a special buy two, get one free offer. That's a 90-day supply. Just visit hostagetape.com slash Rogan. That's hostagetape.com slash Rogan. No, so one of the really surprising things about tribes, the tribes in which we evolved, is, is that the idea of the big man is a bit of a myth. 
So, that, so, so they were kind of leaderless. Like leaders would bubble up by consensus when, say, we wanted to solve a particular problem to do with hunting. Mm-hmm. Then the best hunters would be deferred to. And what do you think? Um, so the big, at some point in time, they became leaders. I mean, they've yeah. been leaders for so long. When we settled down. So, when so, was so, that? Like agriculture days? Yeah, that was about 11,000 years ago. But does, don't you think that's enough to bake it into our DNA? I, I don't know. Well, I think what is in our DNA is that idea of A... Um, stories. So, so you know, we, we, we're storytelling animals. We think in stories. Every tribe has its particular story about the world, and so we we're very good at channeling those stories. And 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 as I said, every story has its design of what is a hero, and we we try and become that kind of hero. So so, so that's that holdover from the from the from the tribal day. But more fundamentally, is again, it's that that brain question of. Who do I have to be? What do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do in order to achieve connection and status. And that's what a cult does. It's, and that's what a charismatic leader does. It tells you this is what you've got to do. Mm. These are the rules. This is, you have to, this is who you have to become. And that's really seductive to us subconsciously because those, those two things of connection and status are so incredibly important to us. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Is it is it something you think should be taught like very early on? It seems like this is information we should get to kids as young as we can, yeah. So they can recognize these patterns that people fall into. Absolutely, I, I've always thought that that there should be a lesson in school about what is a human, what is the basic yeah. operating system manual for a human, and these are the mistakes that humans make. Because as I said, you know, one of the sort of big ideas is that. We, we're not particularly interested in the truth. We don't, the truth is, doesn't matter to human brains. What matters is, what do I, what, what do I have to believe in order to, for people to like me and respect yeah. me? Well, that's why religions, like even radical religions, are so intoxicating. Like, you have to be all in. You're part of a very special group. And you all love each other like brothers and sisters because you're part of this group. Yeah. And you can come up with some radical <laughs> ideas and get people to subscribe to that, especially if you attach things like death for people who leave. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's right. That's, uh, you're operating in some red line territory. Like, yeah. That's a wild group. And, and the religions and the cults always do that thing of offering amazing rewards. But of course. At some heaven. point in the future. Bro, heaven. <laughs> yeah, it's the best yeah, spot it's the best ever. ever. Yeah. And the, the version of heaven differs between how bad the place where you live sucks. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and it's like, I think there's like, there's like eight and a half billion people in the world. And the amount of, I think it's like 500 million atheists. So that just shows you how many, yeah. just, just how wired we are to believe Basically, any old shit we're told to believe, as long as it, we feel like it's going to get a status and secure connection into a supportive group. We were, I remember during the suicide bomber days when that was something that was in the news all the time. They talked about 72 virgins mm. and that these gentlemen thought that they were going to get 72 virgins <laughs> in heaven. Like, that is so cultural. Yeah. Like, if you offered 72 virgins to a Christian, they'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I'm not fucking any virgins, you crazy psycho. How old are they? What are you saying? I'm not a pedophile, dude. I just like women. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Uh, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like. Yeah, but I'm not sure how. I mean, I'm, I don't know if that 72 virgins thing is true. I think there could be like 21 year old versions that have been saved for this moment by the great one. I, I but think, I think I, that term is not real. I think the term 72 virgins is like saying, how many, you know, how many times have you lost your phone? A fucking million? Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah, that kind of yeah. a, you know, it's not, it's an exaggeration. But I think the real, pro- I think the real promise there, though, I mean, the 72 versions is, yeah, but, but I think the real promise for suicide bombers is, again, it's status. It's like yeah. if you 
sacrifice your life on behalf of the group's mission. You're a hero. You're like a god. Yeah. And so, so, so that's the promise. And, and again, I think it's a really good example of how human beings value status over their lives. Yeah. I mean, that's how much we value status. We, we, we're the only animal that kills ourselves, which is just a weird thing in itself. That an animal would voluntarily end its own life. And very often the reason that people kill themselves is because it's a sudden drop in status or they feel completely isolated and alone. So, so, so they're lacking in those essential kind of psychological resources to such an extent that they, you know, end their own lives. And, and, and that's how much we value these things. And suicide bombers are another manifestation of that. Like, yeah. like if you're going to consider me a hero and if Mohammed is going to consider me a hero, strap me up, brother. You know, <sighs> that, 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 that's how much... That, that's how crazy we become about these, these social rewards. God, that is such an insane belief. It's so insane. And when the, the most evil thing is when you hear about them talking kids into doing it. Yeah. You know, a young child, you know, you're getting a, I mean, what is the youngest suicide bomber they've ever used? I don't know. Just the idea that. You can buy into it so much that you're willing to let your children go do that. Yeah, but it's wild. It's uh, it's evil if you think it's this kind of calculating, um, uh, kind of mathematical algorithm of advantage. But 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 they sincerely believe it. Yes. They, they really believe it's true. Right. I mean, you know, I've been as a when I, before I was an author, I was a journalist. I've been meeting kind of crazy people, including Nazis. Um, as part of my journalistic career. That's one of the things that always strikes me is that they they really believe it, this oh, crazy they stuff. It. They <laughs> so, it. so, so it's not evil in the sense that, um, they, that they're doing anything calculating by talking their children to being suicide bombers. They think they're doing something heroic. Yes. They think they're doing something amazing, yes. as did the Nazis, as did, as did yeah. the communists. As Yeah, as does the KKK. Yeah. People, yeah. they can fall into belief structures and they, they don't necessarily have to make sense. But if they find enough supportive people around them that also believe that, then it becomes part of their tribe identity. Yeah. And it can get it can be really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Really stupid. We're yeah. fucking way more vulnerable than we like to believe. That's one of the things that I was saying, like when I watched those cult documentaries. Part of me is like, thank God I didn't run into those people. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. They would have got me. And when, and when they look at the psychology of people that are vulnerable to falling into cults, it's very often people that have struggled to fit into the status games of ordinary life. Yeah. So they've got the family hasn't worked, the job hasn't worked, exactly. the hobbies haven't worked. So they've got no identity. They've got no tribe. So they're really vulnerable to these cults, which because what cults offer is absolute certainty. Yeah. If you cook your scrambled eggs this way, if you uh, only put two inches of water in your bath, you're going to, you know, the... Um, the UFOs will come down and, and they're going to take you to the level above. Th- that's what they were offering to you, yeah. though. The you level above human. Wear the Nikes, yeah. though. Remember, you have to wear the purple Nikes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and, and um, th- uh, th- there's this crazy memoir of one of one of, one of the guys who was in this group. Who he cut. He, he, he didn't. He didn't cut his own balls off. He left before the ball cutting. But he was. <laughs> but he was jealous. Like like he, he, he wanted jealous? to have his balls cut, and there was no. only, there was only one person that could have it done in the beginning. And oh. I had to, they flipped a coin, and he was really annoyed that he lost the coin flip. Oh uh, my god! Uh, but what was interesting about his memoir was he said that people talk about brainwashing in cults, and uh, people talk uh, and people talk about um, how we were forced to follow these rules. But we wanted to follow the rules. Like not following the rules would be like being a NASA astronaut and just not caring about how the space shuttle works you know so 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 they're not 
they don't consider themselves brainwashed. They consider themselves, well, they're just in a status game, yeah. like, like any other status game. It's just a very, very strict one. Right. Well, that's why, you know, one of the fascinating things about some cults is that they use very bizarre language and that they all agree to it. They have, yeah. like, specific terms that they say. Like, doesn't Scientologists, they'll call people, they have, like, an abbreviation for someone who's, like, a hostile person. <laughs> what is it that they do? Because I remember someone was, someone was explaining to me, someone who left the church was explaining to me how, like, if someone would be hostile, you have, like, a very specific way you describe yeah. them. Yeah. And that they all do it in the yeah. group. And they, it's like... Suppressive persons. That, suppressive <laughs> persons. Yes, you're, you're a suppressive person. Or potential trouble sources. <laughs> Dude, I ordered Dianetics in, like, 1994. I had just moved to L.A., and I thought it was a self-help book. I was like, <laughs> all right, yeah, fucking look at Your brain's going to yeah. explode. Yeah. You're going to get your shit together. Look at all these people that are succeeding on Dianetics. <laughs> Genetics, you know, I was 26 or whatever I was. So I ordered this book, and they've never stopped sending me things. Oh, no. I mean, they fucking never stopped sending me things. Was there ever a point when you thought, hang on a minute, this is quite interesting? No. No, All right. no, no. Once I realized it was Scientology, I was like, uh, oh, yeah, Dianetics yeah. is Scientology? Yeah. I was like, okay. But then part of me was like, damn, a lot of these Scientologists are doing really well in Hollywood. <laughs> like, maybe that's <laughs> yes, a good cult to yeah, join. Yeah. Maybe if they just let me be me. Because it seems like that was part of it. There was a big allure of how many successful people were following that religion. I mean, some of the most successful actors. Tom Cruise is one of the most yeah, successful yeah, yeah, actors yeah, yeah, yeah. of all time, and he's literally the poster boy for that. Yeah, that's right. I, 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 it's, uh, somebody was saying to me the other day that they thought that actors were particularly susceptible to Scientology because they've got this weird... They don't really have an identity actors. They, they were always sort of slipping into everybody at different people's right. identities. I thought that was an interesting Especially if you're really good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You probably lose who the fuck you are. Yeah. Who am I? Am I Rocky? <laughs> yeah, am I the exactly. Mission Impossible guy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they, well it, when they're walking around, everybody treats them that way. Like, I'm sure they treat Stallone like he's Rocky. And Yeah. You've know. you got to give respect to Tom Cruise, though, because Tom Cruise is like 60 years old, and he still does his own stunts, yeah. including jumping a motorcycle off a cliff. Yeah. That's how much yeah. he believes in this yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, that, but, that's, but that's why these, these, these groups are kind of functional as well. Uh -huh. It's like I kind of have a weird kind of sympathy. Like what, what, I grew up in a very strict Catholic household with very strict Catholic parents, and I was very – I hated it. I was very rebellious as a teenager. And I guess in my 20s and 30s, I was very, very atheist and, you know, hated religion. Um, but, but then I kind of did a lot of this research. And, I, and when you, once you accept that what humans need to be healthy psychologically and physically is connection and status, you see that, that that's actually what religion provides people. That, that's what religion provides my parents. Right. Is right, th that right. they're connected into community and they feel important. Yeah. They feel they're good Catholics because my dad yeah. conducts the choir and, y y you know, this, that and the other. And so that, that, that's invaluable. That's what humans need to survive. And in our, you know, in, in the, in, in the, current world in the huge uh, populations in which we live it's very hard to feel securely connected i mean as you, you said a moment ago the tribes in which we evolved were very small like 30 yeah. to 50 people so it was quite easy to feel securely connected it was quite easy in that environment to feel important like valued by other yeah. people i mean probably the, 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 it was not rare in the tribe to feel in, invaluable like you're needed because everybody was needed there wasn't many people around to find the tubers and catch the rabbits or whatever um but in this day and age in these huge groups in which we belong to it's it's much harder to feel relative status because you're competing with millions of people especially online so and i think that's a source of a huge amount of 
sort of mid misery in the modern world, a stress, a sort of, an, I call it an identity anxiety, you know, identity yeah. stress. We 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 are, we feel really unsatisfied with the amount of connection and status that we have because we li- we, we exist in these fucking massive international tribes now. I, I think there's another factor, and the the other factor is I think because of the nature of. Uh, Commuting and public transportation, mm. and of uh, g- going to work all day, and then you know, you know, being under someone else's control most of the day, and then commuting home. You, I think we're conversation starved. Yeah, I think the way human beings figure out what's the best way to behave and what's the the nicest way that we can all get along, what what makes the most sense, is when we talk the most. Yeah, and most of the day you can't really talk. Most of the day, you can't sit down for a couple hours like this and just say, why do we behave this way? Why is there this weird pattern that is so strong? It's so, such a tightly cut groove that cutting your balls off and wearing purple sneakers <laughs> yeah. becomes appealing. Yeah. Like yeah. it can fit right yeah. in there. Yeah. Like, yeah. It seems to be there's like a pathway for this. Yeah, and, 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 what, and that's how humans communicate. Is, you know, we, we sit down and we tell stories yeah. to each other. And, and and if we don't get to talk, yeah, yeah absolutely, we're we're very lucky. We get yeah. to talk, yeah. But most people don't get to talk like this. Yeah, they don't uh, have the time. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, uh, and that's to our huge cost. Yeah, like it really, uh, because where do we get the stories from? We get them from social media. We get them from the news, which is increasingly politicized and hysterical. Yeah, and so we, you know, the outrage goes up. Like if you're a used up. car salesman and you talk to people, you're bullshitting people all day long. When do you ever turn the bullshit off? Do you know how to anymore? <laughs> you probably become a used car salesman forever. Yeah. Well, that's what we do. I mean, that's that's a perfect example of how the status games work. Is that the used car salesman is a status game, and it right. has its particular um, model of self, which right. which we kind of the brain identifies and turns us into. By the way, I should just say there's a lot of very cool used yeah, car salesmen. I don't want to pick it's just on, a joke. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's a term, but there, you know, you do know there's a difference between salespeople that are just real friendly folks, and then. Super saley guys, <laughs> yeah. and those yeah. super saley guys. I'm like, how does that guy turn that off? Like, that's such a bullshit way to talk. Yeah, John, John Paul Sartre wrote about this. He called it bad faith, and he, he was sitting in a cafe in Paris at one time, and he was watching the waiter, and he realised that the waiter was just behaving like a waiter, like a like a classic <laughs> Parisian waiter. He's going, look at his movements, and it was it's just really annoying. Yeah. That John Paul Sartre. So he called it. He's acting in bad faith. He's doing the dance of the waiter. That's not really who he is. Right. He's just he's just being the waiter. Right. And he's there's the dance of the auctioneer. There's the dance of the used car salesman. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what we do. And the I think dance what, of the strip club DJ. Yeah, and the dance <laughs> of the member of the cult. You know, yeah. like like dance but, of the lead singer of a rock and roll yeah. band. Yeah, and 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 that's that's what that's what the brain does though. It it, yeah. it, it 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 identifies. Okay, what group am I in? Yeah, what does a hero look like? Right, I've got to turn myself into this person. Yeah, that was a giant thing in stand-up to the point where uh, the the punchline in Atlanta, Georgia, had a back green room and people would write on the walls. Yeah. And someone wrote in big letters, quit trying to be Hicks. <laughs> <laughs> and when Jamie yeah. tore the place yeah. down, he's not this uh, Jamie, yeah. Jamie that owns the club, t- tore the place down. He swore he saved that for me. Uh, I want that little piece of memorabilia. Yeah. Because it was, it was just so... There were so many people that saw Hicks and were like, God, he's so profound. I want to be profound. But you don't have shit to say. You don't even I read. <laughs> it's like, I know. Do it's we like, talk about Dennis Leary in this? Uh, there's no need to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's no need to. But okay. yeah. Okay. I've said enough about oh, that. Okay. But yeah, there's there's just a lot of that. 
there's a lot of uh, posturing. You know, like yeah. that's not really how you feel. Yeah. But you see how this is appealing, and you see that there's a pattern that seems to be successful, and then you just mimic that pattern, mock that pattern. Yeah, and it, th- and that's why it's so incredible when someone comes along and does something in that space that's new yes. but still works. Like that's like for me the definition of a genius. That like anybody can experiment, right? But most experiments go wrong. But if you experiment with the form of stand up or whatever, if everyone's doing Hicks and you come up with something new and it works, that's incredible. Like it's that's, just people are so easily influenced, and when someone is really stunningly good. Like there's a David Tell problem. Okay, the David Tell problem is David Tell so good that when you work with him all the time, you start delivering <laughs> your punchlines like him. <laughs> but they're not as good as his punchlines. Yeah. And you fucking sound like David Tell. But it's it's uh, not even they're not like plagiarists. They're just easily yeah. influenced people that are starting they're not good yet. You know what I yeah, mean? But it, I you get susceptible to patterns. Yeah, I don't even know if it, I would say that it was easy influence. I think it's just normal. That's how brains work. Yes. You know, they, they, they mimic, they, they, yes. they copy. and When guys um, work together all the time, I see they start making the same sort of similar hand movements on stage. <laughs> they start doing the same yeah. kind of things. Well, it's the same with writing. If you read a book that you really love, the next day you'll turn your computer on and you'll be writing in that, like a bit in a slightly shit version of that style. Well, that's what like, it's really annoying. Thompson said he did. Didn't he write The Great Gatsby over and over and over again just to get a, a sense of the rhythm of the words when he was learning how to write i believe he did that but uh, i think he also did the book of revelations didn't he like, whoa yeah yeah which i thought was amazing because <laughs> you can really sense that in his writing this kind of apocalyptic uh, madness i'm oh sure i read that, a similar thing about i don't know if he rewrote the Re- revelations or whether he, he used to read it over and over again but i'm sure i remember reading that about hunter thompson yeah. i believe that for sure yeah. typed out the great Caspi uh, <laughs> and farewell to arms wow. word for word uh, a method for learning how to write like the masters. Incredible. Wow, that's that's someone dedicated. That's commitment. Yeah, that's dedicated to it. He's another guy. that's like, man, if you just like drank half as much, yeah. <laughs> you'd probably still be around. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would have loved to have met him. Yeah, you know, he's been just amazing on this. Yeah. At the end, though, man, fuck. I remember he did an episode of Conan O'Brien, and you couldn't understand a word he was saying. Yeah, and it was so—it's so sad. It's like when you watch an old boxer and they can't talk anymore. Yeah. It's kind of a similar feeling, because like in the early days, like when he was running for sheriff <laughs> of Pickens County in Colorado and Aspen. I mean, he was on fire. He was amazing. He was like at the yeah. height of his verbal skill. He was young and and vibrant. And then to see him at the end where he could barely, you, you couldn't understand what he was saying. Mm. It was like everything was a slur. It was all like this weird, like he had a bunch of health problems, <sighs> hip replacements. You know, it was before he killed himself, but yeah. not m- much before. Yeah, and, and and the suicide tragically almost becomes predictable in a way. Because, again, it's that he was he had this status. He was this incredible yeah. brain. And he knows that he's he's down here now. And that's intolerable for somebody like that to, yeah. to live with. That's the, that's the tragedy of that. Yeah, you got to manage the biology, kids. Yeah. You got to manage your biology. Yeah, and you've got to manage the decline. I mean, yeah. the, that, that, I think when you've, when you've got as high as, uh, you know, status-wise as he has, it's, yeah. it's that level of genius. And then you've hit that decline. It's, in a, it's a dangerous place to be. It's also, it has to be just tied to the alcohol because it, the mind is still the same mind. Like when 9-11 happened, he still wrote a brilliant piece about 9-11. Mm. Did you ever, you ever see that? No, I Johnny Depp that. narrated it in the movie and it was fucking great. He narrated a couple these hundred pieces in the movie and one of them was like how the 60s see if you can find that jamie when johnny depp 
uh, does this Hunter S. Thompson, uh, uh, he narrates this, this story about the wave pulling back. It's the wave of culture. And the, it's so eloquently, brilliantly written. And it's about the hope that he had in the 1960s and how the 1970s came and it all pulled back. Oh, yeah. It's a brilliant piece. Wow. It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And it's, it just, this is it. Strange memories on this nerve. Wow. Not beautiful. Yeah. It was and so accurate. Yeah. And, you know, when we think about the way our world changed four years ago. I mean, it's kind of similar in a way. Like the whole, like, what the fuck happened? Mm, mm. Four years later, you're like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think with us though, there's hope that we'll eventually get to some place of normalcy, and 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 some semblance of peace. But what what happened in the 1960s is fucking bananas. Yeah. I mean, they they basically turned this counterculture hippie love movement. Into Charles Manson and the Manson family and the fucking CIA was dosing people with yeah. LSD yeah, and yeah. they were doing anything they can to stop the anti-war movement. Yeah. Anything they can to stop these hippies and made everything illegal. They made marijuana. Well, marijuana was already illegal, but all the Schedule One substances. It's all the sweeping part of the 1970 Psychedelic Act that was mm. all about the civil rights movement. It was all about or just arresting people for any kind of protests, any anti-government, anti-war. Let's find these hippies. Everything's illegal. Fuck you. Go to jail. And they put water on it. They just put the fire out. Wow, I didn't know that. They pulled the put the fire out yeah. on this psychedelic counterculture that was the 1960s. And we paid for it artistically. <laughs> if you yeah. look at the 1980s, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a fucking disaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, what happened in the 1980s? It's yeah. like these people, all they had was cocaine. They're yeah. just doing cocaine and alcohol, and the movies are out of control. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the 1980s, it, it, the other thing that changed was, of course, was the economy in the 1980s. And that was, the, for me, that's the big thing that that changed. Yes. Like, 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 the, like the economies of the West fell to bits in the, in the 1970s, like before the right. 1970s. The um, gas crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think we forget about that. That ruined American automobiles. Yeah. And, and then so Thatcher and Reagan yep. came up with this neoliberalism idea of increasing competition ev everywhere, getting rid of the big state, um, selling off the, you know, privatizing all the national industries, going to war with the unions. Um, and when I was doing my research for my book Selfie, I, I was sort of, because I was interested to know, like, if you change the rules of the, the status game, do we change as a as a as a as a culture as a, as a bunch of people, um, and it really does seem like that. Like if you think about who we were in the nineteen sixties versus who we were in the nineteen eighties, you go from fuck the man to greed is good. You know, yeah. You, 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 you know, we, you know we, 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 like, and I found this really quite sinister interview from nineteen eighty one with Margaret Thatcher, where they're interviewing her about you know what are your big plans, and um, she, she said uh, she was going on about um, how, you know. It, in the last 30 years, everything have been about the collectivism and getting together and now that we're going to get rid of all that and increase competition. And she said this thing. She said, the method is economic, but the object is to change the soul, which is a really like megalomaniac James Whoa. Bond villain thing to say. Whoa. But, but she did do that. They did do that. Like Change the soul. Yeah. Like, so so by, by, by changing the rules of who we have to be in order to achieve success – 
they changed who we were. Like we became, you know, as a people, Gordon Gecko, Material Girl, Madonna, Whitney, <laughs> Whitney Houston. Um, the greatest love of all is loving yourself. Like we, we yeah. became the, you know, this big. As you say, we went from pot to cocaine. It was I, I, there was a really interesting study that found in 1983 they were looking at um, changes in birth names, and for generations and generations, babies have been called things like you know Alfred and John and Barbara, like all the, the, the traditional names. But in 1983, suddenly we started naming our kids weird names because we wanted to, our kids to stand out and be a star. Oh, and, and and when you look at um, the changes in values between like the 60s and the 80s and 90s, suddenly um, money becomes a dominant value. Celebrity becomes a dominant value. Being good looking becomes a much more dominant value. But there was, there, there was a, um, a study about 20 years ago. They asked two and a half thousand British under 10s, what is the best thing in the world? And these under 10s, number one was being a celebrity. Number two was being good looking. <laughs> number three was uh, being rich. Like, that's who we've become. Hmm. Um, and, and, and the big change is the economy. Like, we've become these kind of neoliberal, profit-obsessed, celebrity-obsessed individualists. I don't know what number four <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why. Yeah. I think because they're young, though, right? When you're young, that's what seems like everybody wants. But not in the 60s and 70s. Like, when they did, no. a, when they did a similar... Um, study in the 60s, I think it was 1965, it was less than half of people thought being rich was an important thing in your life. And now it's way over 75%. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder how many of those people wanted to be famous before the invention of social media and reality shows. Well, I th yeah, I you think... You know, I wonder I, if there was yeah. like less of an aspiration. There was, yeah. So all, all of that celebrity stuff comes out of the 80s. And, and the 80s, what defines the 80s is these big economic changes. Yeah. You know, like in order to, to survive in the 80s, you had to be an, uh, like a radical individualist. You had to be a get up and go... Um, profit motive, uh, self-sustaining individualist, like a, right. like a competitive individual. Um, because before that, we had the big state, we had big social security cushions, we had mm -hmm. public housing, and they, 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 they got rid of all of that. I feel like there's a comfortable medium in there. Yeah. <laughs> we're missing out on. Yeah. Like, don't be competitive to the point where you're a fucking psychopath. Yeah. You're saying greed is good. Yeah. Don't, don't be that guy. But well, also don't be lazy and rely on the state to take care of you either. Like, well, yeah, I, I think I'm not sure if it was Tony Blair, but certainly I, I, I think it was Tony Blair that talked about the idea of neoliberalism with cushions, which I love that idea where mm. because, because it's true that it kind of worked. It was brutal in the 80s, but we're most of us are much wealthier now than we were in the 80s. Like it's kind of worked, mm. but but it's also created much more um, a separation between, between the top and the bottom, much more inequality. So the rich are much richer now and the poor are much poorer than they were in the middle of the 20th century. So, so it's, it's created a lot more unfairness as well. So you do need those cushions, I think. Well, it also becomes an insurmountable position too. Like when we say the rich get richer, the, the poor aren't getting any richer. Mm. So there's, that's a part of the problem. It's mm. like there's no escape from like severe poverty. No. Very few people escape. Mm. And when you're in severe poverty, especially if you're in another country, like when people look at this caravan of people coming in through uh, South America, through mm. uh, Mexico, <laughs> I would do it too. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I'm not a terrorist. I yeah. would hope that it wouldn't be a terrorist, <laughs> you know, in a different life. But mm. 100 percent, if I was living in a place that sucked with dirt floors and I found out I could walk to America. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I can get a job there. Let's go. Yeah. You, would, yeah. you would do it. A hundred percent. It's natural.
seems yeah. like a, a normal thing that people want to have a better life. I think that we've just got to figure out why we have these parts of the world, why we have these communities that are just never getting better and help them. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. seems super yeah. simple. You yeah. want the world to be a safer place? Yeah. Take all these places that yeah. suck and give them economic security. Give them mm. education and health care. Mm. Set up school systems that are really good. You're going to change the whole atmosphere. You're going to change everything. Provide job opportunities. Set up places where we should make – how about – here's a law. Here's a law <laughs> that should make. You can't sell anything made by people who make less than would be legal here. <laughs> Wouldn't that be an amazing law if we passed that? If we just said, listen, we all know this is bullshit. Yeah. Okay. We all know that if you're buying an iPhone, mm. there's a lot going on that you wouldn't like to see. Yeah. There's a lot going on from mm. the mining of the cobalt yeah, yeah. to the people in the factories. I don't want to see that. I want the shiny <laughs> titanium the thing. It's so yeah. pretty. Yeah. You know, you move it around in your hand mm. like, wow, that's amazing. That's what you want. Mm. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. But if you really want to, I mean, if you really want to try to fix everything everywhere, say, I'm not buying anything from anybody who doesn't get paid what you're supposed to get paid here. Yeah, but the, you've got to account for the economies are different in, those, mm-hmm. in different parts of the world, aren't okay, they? Okay, so then we'll, let's yeah. balance it so, out for yeah. the economies of those places. Yeah, yeah, I think, that, I, I think that's a good rule. Do uh, they do that, though? They might actually – I mean, what is the economy? In, if you're in Mexico, mm. what, what are you allowed to pay people in Mexico? And how much does it cost? Like, let's say um, – let's pick a place, Juarez. Mm. That's a kind of a border town. Mm. So, like, if you, if you have, own a factory in Juarez – how much do you have to pay those people? What is that? Don't economists have that Big Mac test where they look at how much a Big Mac costs in each territory? And from that, they can work out the relative strength Boy. of each economy. It's like, so the test would be you'd have to be able to buy X amount of Big Macs per day with your, with yeah. your, <laughs> with your daily wage. If you, you know. We just have this real weird desire to never stop making more, Mm. like real weird desire to like maximize profit, expand, Mm. expand, make it big. Nobody ever has a company and goes, we're good. Yeah. Just like leave it like this. That's because status is relative. Right. Uh, And and, and so you're you're always insecure about your – like you don't – Status is this imaginary resource, like right. it only exists in our minds and in the minds of other people. So but isn't you can't it keep also? it. You can't. You can't put it in a box. So you're constantly having to make sure that it's still there. It's still there. You're constantly measuring yeah. your state, like Apple are measuring their status versus Google and Samsung right. or whoever. So there's that, there's that constant chippiness. So so you're always trying to ratchet up. There, there was this really hilarious study they did where they they got a bunch of multiple millionaires and billionaires and they asked them how much more money would you need to be perfectly happy and uniformly they said between two and three times more money and it's like <laughs> and it's like you're not going to be perfectly happy you're delusional but that's that's the human brain so we so, so, so we, we think well when, I, when, when I've achieved this thing I'll be perfectly happy but of course we, we were happy for about 10 seconds then we want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and actually like it's exhausting but it's also how we built civilization it's also an incredible amazing thing that we're restless we're never satisfied. We want better and better and better and better. Like it drives us yeah. forward. Well, it's all, I was going to say about the McDonald's thing. It's also a function of being a part of a public company. Mm. You have an obligation to your shareholders to make more money. 
Like the whole idea yeah. is let's make more money. We have to make more money. Let's make more money. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm looking at the money and it's not more. <laughs> I feel like more money. That's the slight problem with it because you can measure your status in all kinds of different ways. And any, you know, there's right. infinite ways you can measure your status and money being just one of them. But that's part of the problem with the, the public company yeah. is, that, is, that, is that money becomes the only important. And it's not, it's not just money. It's short term profit. Like it has to. Every quarter has to go up and go up and go up and go up and go up. How much, so that's a sort of damaged incentive in a way. How much different would the world be if we made that illegal? I'm not <laughs> saying we should. I'm not saying we should. But how much different would the world be where all corporations have to be private? Yeah. All of them. You just have to be a company. Yeah. You can't just sell <laughs> your stuff to people, like whatever you are, what piece of this and whatever you want to call it, stocks. Yeah. Call it whatever you want. You're selling chunks of your company, <laughs> right? No, you have to own it. You want yeah. to be in business? You got to own your own company. Because, because yeah, there are two ways that you can measure the status of your company. I guess two main ways. One is how much money it makes, and, and the other is the quality of the product. Right. And what you see in today's world, of course, is that stock price. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so quality tends to go down and down and down. You've got shrinkflation. Yeah. You know, so it's not just the quality; it's the it's what you're getting for your money goes down and down. Yeah. And down. So it's just kind of like fake. It gives you the illusion, the illusion of growth in the company. We're making more money. Yeah, because you're putting less. Berries in the yogurt, you know. Yeah. That's why it's you know, it's it's not a, a positive, uh, productive growth. It's a it's a growth that comes from cutting all the good stuff out. Of also, your you would eliminate all the Gordon geckos because that's not a business anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't just would. sell stock anymore. It doesn't exist. You can't do that anymore. Yeah. Own something, bitch. Own, yes. a, own yeah. a company. Make a product to stop. Yeah. And that was yeah. it's a fascinating thought. And again, I'm not a supporter of this, nor do I know anything about economics. <laughs> But I would imagine that that would be better if, like, the companies had to be owned. Like, you have to own the fucking company. Yeah. <laughs> what, what yeah. You... <laughs> but then everyone's pensions would be fucked because basically people's pensions are all in stocks, aren't they? Yeah. You know, we'd have a, we, it would be a – yeah, we, we, I think we're in this now. For this, good. But, but, but I, yeah. Also, this dirty thing where you can't buy stock if you know things. Yeah. You know? Like, if I knew that some shit was about to pop off and I bought a bunch of stock – it must be so tempting. Like if you know for a fact yeah. that tomorrow this stock is going to be up here. Oh, oh yeah. It's tempted the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether I'd be able to not. Uh, not you have it, to not. Yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm not that motivated by yeah. money <laughs> that I would do that. But it's, there's a, there's just, it's a, just a natural desire people have. For yeah. Because we attach our, whatever we've attached our status to, we want. Yeah, more we're playing and more and more a number game. Thing. And it doesn't yeah. matter how famous and rich we, we become. It never ends. It never ends. It's a ends. bottomless pit. Yeah. You, it's a game you can never win. And I think it's designed to make human beings create aliens. That's what I think. <laughs> this is my thought. Yeah. I think that is – I think this whole like competing with the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, what is it – it always fuels technology at the mm. end of the day because that's the thing you buy like every year. People buy phones and laptops. If you're really balling, you buy a new laptop every couple of years, you know? Mm. And that is, you're constantly looking for new processors, new innovation. What is it AR? How big's the battery? What's the battery like? And it's constantly going in this general direction of ever complex technology that interfaces with human beings and now with AI. And it's going to be an artificial life form. And yeah. whether it's 10 years from now or 20 years from now or it's already happening in a fucking lab in Ohio. Yes. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. Might, Doubtless. it might already be happening right now <laughs> where they have an yeah. artificial life form and that's going to be the new mm. dominant life form on Earth. It'll yeah. be far smarter. 
It'll it hopefully will coexist with it. Well, that, well, it comes from yeah. I mean, and it comes from the tribe. It comes from. Well, it comes from before we were human. We've been competing for status since before yes. we were humans, since we were animals. Well, we still are animals, but since before we were human animals. And in the in the, in the tribes in which we evolved, the more status that you earn, the more food you got, the better right. food you got, the safer your sleeping sites, the greater your access to your choice of mates. So basically, every, the more status that you get in your group, everything gets better. And wouldn't that motivate you to make the most complex thing a human being has ever made. 100%. An artificial human. It will. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah. And right. it's not about the money or the, the no. bling or the... Nope. Or the, it's it's just about, what we do. I want to be better than you and yeah. I want to be the best inventor of artificial life form there is in the world. Yeah. Better than that dude and that person. And, and yeah, and then that's what motivates people. That's what pushes people to create it, amazing things. And we have this distorted idea of what is like a fiercely competitive person. Mm. When we think of fiercely competitive people, we only, for whatever reason... Consider basketball players, football players, yeah. baseball players, yeah. fighters, mm. athletes, r- race car drivers. We consider fiercely competitive people the people that are engaged in sports and mm. activities every day. But no, no, there's fiercely competitive <laughs> people that are yeah. involved in business and yeah. government yeah. and all sorts of other things. And they're they're fucking psycho about this game that they're playing, Absolutely. whatever it is. Yeah. Whether it's stocks and bonds or yeah. selling pharmaceutical drugs, they're fucking psycho competitive yeah. about that. And that psychoness is the status instinct yeah. it's like I, I you know i need the status like i love there's a, there was a great story that i found for, for, for the status game about steve jobs and like the true origin story of the iphone i don't know if you've heard this the true origin story of the iphone which is that steve jobs his wife used to hold these barbecues in wherever they lived silicon valley wherever they, uh, and um one time he was at this barbecue and the husband of one of her friends worked for microsoft and he's like rubbing Steve Jobs' face and it's saying, oh, we've, we've invented the future of computing. You're done. It's this pad thing with a stylus. And apparently he really annoyed the fuck out of Steve Jobs. So Monday morning, Jobs comes into Apple, furious, swearing and going, right, we're going to prove this prick wrong. It's not stylus. It's a finger. You use the finger. And f- from that barbecue came his rage and from the rage came the iphone and wow. and and that story was told by steve forstall who was um you know intimately involved with all this stuff and he and he, he said it was not good for microsoft that that guy went to that barbecue that day <laughs> 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 and he's absolutely right but 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 that's status like mm-hmm. like that 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 it was personal for steve jobs yeah. It was Microsoft telling Apple that they were fucked and that they that they'd solved computing. That's a perfect yeah, example of yeah. a psycho competitive dude who would have probably yeah. won bike races. Yeah, but instead, yeah. Instead he's running Apple. Yeah, and yeah. Know? Back in the day, like t- t- twenty thousand years ago, he'd have been the best warrior in yeah, the tribe, like stabbing the shit archer. out of everyone. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's that that that's the kind of upside of aggression in a way. You know, yeah. it's um. It, it creates things. It creates value in the world. It certainly has created a lot of great things, yeah. right? It certainly has created a lot of amazing inventions that enhance our lives. But it's also, it's like, it's moving in this nonstop direction. It mm. always seems to me like we're a bunch of fucking buffalo being herded off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Like, does anybody know where this cliff is? But <laughs> we just yeah. keep going mm. with this stuff? Like, <sighs> I mean, with all the international chaos that's going in the world, the conflicts, the wars, the mm. Ukraine thing and the the israel hamas thing it's like fuck man how much longer i mean that's a status thing too Mm. right and ultimately ultimately i mean when you can get groups of people to go after other groups of people and be convinced that those people that you don't even fucking know Mm. are your problem Mm. the fact that that game is still being played Mm. in 2024 but it would never stop being played because we're storytelling animals and we tell stories about about status and 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 
I think one of the sort of key things that the sort of things that I kind of realized when I was doing the book was that the conscious experience of life is a story, but the subconscious reality is this game. The brain's constantly playing a game for status. And it's, we've got all this insane subconscious technology that we use for measuring our status versus other people that we're completely unaware of. Like there's one about the tone of voice during conversation. They call it the paraverbal frequency band. Mm. And you can't hear it um, consciously, but, 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 but it's a way of organising status hierarchies when we meet people. And the person who's top sets the tone and everybody else matches to meet the tone. And these um, psychologists studied a bunch of Larry King interviews, a bit, a bit like this one, and they, and, they, and they stripped out the paraverbal frequency band and they could work out who he felt superior to versus who he felt inferior to. So he, he, he felt inferior to, I think it was uh, Liz Taylor, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and superior to Dan Quayle. And there the, the were particular interviews which were very irascible and didn't go very well and there was they were kind of they weren't getting along and one of them was dan quayle and they found that those they were just not matching so so there's all this stuff going on beneath the hood of consciousness which is constantly organizing us into kind of status games um and so you know so that's, and, and it's that that causes the hierarchies of life that's the reason why communism could never work <laughs> because you know they're trying to wipe out the the effects of status in society, but you can't wipe out the effects of status in society because it's in our it's in our brains. You go into an elevator with three other people, and you've already figured out within seconds who's the highest status. You know where you sit in the pecking order, who's got the nice luggage, who's getting out of the the suites floor at the top. You know we, we can't help but do it, and and so that's that constant work of the subconscious brain figuring out where we sit in the status hierarchy creates. Human life. Yeah, that's why Fidel Castro lived in a fucking mansion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's communism. That's how it works. Yeah. One guy yeah. and a bunch of fucking people with guns tell you what the fuck you're going to do. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's look the at only Stalin. way it works. I mean, he was treated like a god. I mean, yeah. they, like exactly. the, whole, the whole idea of communism, they wanted to create a kingdom of equality, they called it. Yeah. It's like, come on. I mean, but the know. funny thing is when you talk to people about this and you just point out these just logical patterns mm. of human behavior, it doesn't work. You can't just have equality of outcome it doesn't exist no they will always just point to that it just hasn't been done right yet but isn't that amazing isn't that amazing that despite of the many how many thousands of people are in jail is it millions how many millions of people are in jail despite all that despite all the crime and poverty and chaos that somehow or another you're just going to bring this all together. Yeah. If you just do it this way and everybody mm. just divides the money up. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah just Who gets to tell yeah, people yeah. they get to give their money up? Because people you, with guns. You take people's status away. Like yeah. I, I, years ago, I went to Poland to do some reporting on, like at the time, the big story in the UK was all these Polish people coming to the UK to do all this work. Right. And so uh, well, I remember that. Yeah. Where's all the Polish people come from? So I went to Poland to find out where all the Polish people had come from. And we went to this old steelworks, this old sort of, sort of Stalin era steelworks. And, and the Polish journalist who was my fixer said, oh, you know, um, I, I just mentioned casually how the Poles are such hard workers. And she was like, we're not hard workers. We're lazy. We're, like, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that you Brits think we're hard workers. And she said, we've got this post-Soviet mindset. So I said to her, what do you mean the post-Soviet mindset? And she said, well, when everyone's getting paid anyway, you're not motivated to do any work. So in, uh. in a steelworks like this, um, they, um, nobody would do any work. 
And if somebody came in all enthusiastic and ambitious, they'd be bullied to fuck until they calmed down and stopped doing work. So that was how it, how it worked. And there was a phrase like you can, you can turn up for work or you can not turn up for work. You're still going to get paid. So removing that stuff from human society removes something that we need, which is individual status. We're like, you know, if you don't reward individual status, you don't motivate people to contribute to work. And that's yeah. partly why communism collapsed because it's incompatible with human nature like capitalism is the only system that we've got that is compatible with human nature it rewards the status instinct yeah yeah it's it's really fascinating when you break it down that way because it kind of makes it undeniable yeah it, it seems this pattern just constantly happens over and over and over again but there's always people that they play to the most charitable and the kindest people in the world and they phrase things in a way that if you oppose this idea that and somehow or another you're cruel mm. or that you're greedy or evil that there's something negative about you being competitive and it's essentially i think of the roots of it is kind of a cop-out of mm. people that have been beaten in life yeah you know there's this thing that certain people do when it's their things aren't going well. They want to tank yeah. anything that's going well. You know that's right. And 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 I think there's a big misunderstanding about what that what that competitive instinct, what that status instinct is. And when and I found it with talking about the book, a lot of people just really don't like it. This idea that I'm arguing that status is a human need that everybody right. has it. They go, I don't. I'm not interested in status. You know, and say like, you are. Um, you're definitely interested in the benefits of it. Yeah. Do you like iPhones? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> How'd you get an they're, iPhone? They're tapping on their iPhone. Yeah. This shit idea. It's crazy, um, yeah. right? But, but what all, all that status is technically is the is the reward that we get for being of value to the tribe. Right. So back in the days that we evolved. There are three essential ways of earning status for human beings, aside from boring things like looks and height and whatever. There's dominance games. So this is the animalistic. You can force somebody to attend to you in status, either physically or with social violence of the kind you see on social media. Um, there's virtue games. So people compete to, to be, have a reputation of being very virtuous, so courageous, somebody who knows the rules, follows the rules, believes the sacred beliefs. So uh, a religion is a virtue game. The royal family, weirdly, is a virtue game because it's about being deference and knowing the rules. Um, and then there's success games, I call them, which is about competence, about being a great hunter, a great honey finder, a great sorcerer. Um, and that's what, that's what defines the West. That, yeah. that, that, that's what made the West what it is, is that we started playing six... Like for, for, for millennia, we were mostly playing virtue games. It was caste, kingdom, Game of Thrones kind of land. And then in the, starting with the Industrial Revolution, we started playing success games. So we started mostly like much more rewarding competence. And so that, that, that competitive instinct is channeled into figuring out how to solve problems, how to create wealth. And it's right that we reward that. We've, we've evolved to reward people who offer value to the human family. Yeah. That's status. It's not a, a negative thing in that sense. It's massively positive. Um, and, and, and weirdly, capitalism is, a, is, a, is an economic system that, that does the same thing. It works with how status games work. It works with how we've evolved to operate in human tribes. That's why I love how you talk about this, because it, the, the, you change the term 
in a lot of people's eyes as well that listen to you because status for a lot of people is kind of a pejorative. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's like a dick. Like, think oh, about you want status. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. You're just yeah. an asshole. Yeah. But it's just a natural human pattern yeah. that if we can recognize, we can also like mitigate some of the problems that come yeah. with it. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I mean. That's why I like talking about communism because communism was the biggest experiment we've ever had in eradicating status. So, the, so Marx and Engels, their big idea was that um, status comes from private property, from private ownership. So you could have a house that is a perfectly functional house, and you're happy with it, but then somebody builds a big palace next door suddenly you feel shit right. so, yeah, so, so so they said you know like yeah. communism could be summed up in one sentence which is the abolition of private property we get rid of that we get rid of people being interested in status everybody works together but it, it just didn't work like there were some anthropologists uh, sociologists that went to the soviet union in the 50s and they found 10 distinct social classes in the soviet union all they did was they took the existing status game hierarchy with the wealthy at the top and the workers at the bottom and they flipped it so the workers were at the top and the wealthy, were, the, the wealthy and former wealthy, really, were at the bottom. And those former wealthy, the bourgeoisie, the children of the bourgeoisie, were absolutely discriminated against openly and horrifically. If you weren't tortured and killed, you were held back, in, you know, in every sense. And, that, and that's the thing about utopians. Utopians often talk about we're going to get rid of the hierarchy. But right. they don't want to get rid of the hierarchy. They, they just want, want a new it. hierarchy with yeah. you at the top yeah. every single time. Yeah. Um, that's what got Brett Weinstein in trouble when he was uh, teaching at Evergreen University. Huh. Do you remember this story? I do, yeah. It was the same situation. Um, Brett, they, they had had, a, it's like, I think it was like a day of appreciation for people of color, mm. where people of color could stay home, they still get paid, and yeah. you go, wow, I wish Mike was here. He's mm. very helpful, you know, whatever it was. And they decided one year to switch it and make it so that white people can't come. You cannot come, mm. and that, which is a very different sentiment. Yeah. Then you can stay home if you like, mm. and you still get paid. But you can come, Yeah. but if you want to stay home, you just get paid. Mm. And everybody just chose to stay home. It's nice, mm. right? And thank mm. you for appreciating me. That's not a negative, right? If you have the money to do it, and it doesn't fucking stop everything in its tracks, of course, sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds like a nice liberal hippie thing to do. <laughs> but the other one doesn't. No. The other one scares me, because that's racist. Yeah. If you're, you're saying... White people can't be here. Like, why not? Yeah, like, exactly. What did I do? Yeah. I didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, you're, you're saying that white people shouldn't be allowed to be in a place where they work. Yeah. Because you decide. Because you decide they have to stay home. Look, there's better ways of going yeah, about it. Yeah, it's terrible. Just, it's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the, the idea behind appreciating people is great. But the idea about discriminating people in any way is bad. And Absolutely. if you're saying white people yeah. have to stay home, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. bad. But that, but, that, but that also characterizes, I'm not saying that the kind of woke thing is the same as communism, but it has echoes of it. And, yes. it, and, it, and, it, and it's the same flipping of the hierarchy. So, so when I was doing my research into communism, there was this phrase that came up. So the, 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 the former bourgeoisie, wealthy business people and the children of them were called former people. You were, it's a dismissive, you're a former people. Wow. And that's how, you know, when you think about how especially, you know, men, especially white men, especially straight white men are treated at yeah, the moment. talk, preach, brother. They're made to feel like former people. Yeah. Like, there's a whole generation of guys who are being raised in a culture where they're being made to feel, you've had your turn, sit down, shut up. The future is not for you. The future is for people who don't look like you and 100%. think like you. And so, so, so that, that, that former people really resonated with me. It's like, 
you you straight white men, you're former people, you're yesterday's people, you're not the future, you're not tomorrow. I was so watching sit down an and argument shut up. on Twitter yeah. where this man and this woman were going at it, and the man said something that was factually correct, yeah. and the woman said, if you think that I'm going to take information from a straight white man... <laughs> That was their comeback. Yeah, that was their comeback. I'm not taking that information coming from a straight white yeah, man. Yeah. Like the last thing we need right now is straight white yeah. man speaking. Well, I've had Don't that. speak. Just listen. Yeah. It's time to listen. <laughs> that's my favorite. Just please be quiet and listen. Like, uh, hey, sometimes that's good advice. And sometimes you're just telling people you want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's so ignorant. And yeah. I had a similar experience once. I used to teach. Um, a storytelling course at the Guardian newspaper, um, science of storytelling, uh, and so it's so it's like how to use psychology and neuroscience to make yourself a better storyteller. So I'm talking about studies and this study and that study. Yeah. And then during a break, this woman came up to me and she worked for a major, um, she worked for a major academic, like one of the biggest academic journals, and she said to me, "There's a problem with I've got a problem with what you've been talking about, and it's that most of what your most of these studies are by straight." white men and I was like <laughs> so like, like okay and what's the point and she and she, she she was saying well you can't really trust them because they've got their own you know they've got they've got their, their they're own, all evil they're all their perception of the world is is wrong and, and, and I you know I felt actually a, a bit intimidated by that because I'm standing in the Guardian with this woman telling me that effectively I, I guess I've been racist somehow or sexist somehow so I just said to her I, I'm not going to have this conversation with you <laughs> okay I, I'm, and she kind of went away but I just thought but, but it was the fact that she worked for a major scientific publication she was telling me that because the work was done by straight white men it could not be trusted like that's that's Mississippi <laughs> level like Mississippi 1932 <laughs> level <laughs> racism it was absolutely a baffling kind of moment uh, and she was a smart person. She was clearly a smart person. But again, that's the that's the human brain. It believes what it has to believe in order to make itself feel important and valued. I've got an amazing example of that that I just sent Jamie. I want you to see okay. this. I want you to see this headline. Please make sure this headline is real first, because I have been duped before. <laughs> but someone uh, sent me this on the Instagram. And if it is true, praise the baby Jesus because it's as good as the Babylon Bee. It's so good. It seems like satire. It's so good. Oh, I think I know what it is. Oh, hold, please. Is it real? I got to check. <laughs> is it the teacher? He's trying to. No, 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 uh, no, no. He's trying to, he's trying to um, type with Carl. I was a little buddy. It's from 2017? Yeah. But it's real, right? right? I mean, I'm seeing other people talk about it. Here. Okay. So just posted that. Let me see, let's see the article. <laughs> Look at this. Straight black men are the white oh. people of black people. That's South Park level. That's South Park level. That is yeah. amazing. Yeah. It feels counterintuitive to suggest that straight black men as a whole possess any sort of privilege. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is the great irony of these people. It's amazing. Uh, um, <laughs> the, you, you know, the, 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 these kind of woke people talk about privilege. and uh, there, there was a study that was done in the UK a few years ago. It was the More in Common Report. It's the biggest ever psychological study of Britain's social psychology. Uh, you know, over 10,000 respondents. And they were looking at the kind of, kind of these belief sets. And they found there were seven distinct belief groups in the country. Um, one of those belief groups, they called them progressive activists. And these are people for whom 
the fight for social justice is at the heart of their identity. You know, they believe that how you get on in life is about um, not about your talent and your hard work, but about your race and gender. So we know who, who they're talking about. Yeah. Here. And so what was interesting about these people was it just astonished me. Um, first is that they are the richest of all the seven groups. So they had more people earning over £50,000 per year as a family. And secondly, that they were the most highly educated of all the seven groups. So, so these people that are constantly going on about privileged, if they're the most privileged people in Britain, they're amongst the most privileged people in the world. So that was the first thing. The second thing which I thought was amazing was that they, that they, they were six times more likely to, to make political comments on what was then called Twitter. Mm. And they make more social media contributions than all of the rest of the groups combined. Doesn't it make sense, though? Completely, yeah. They don't have uh, any financial stress. Yeah. Right? They probably feel real guilty. Mm. And if they're white, they feel super guilty. Mm. And then they're young, and you get status from being progressive and yeah. an activist. And yeah. you don't have to be competitive in the workplace. You're out here throwing paint on the Michelangelo's. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, so uh, and uh, they also the numbers. So, so in the UK, they, they make up 13% of the population. In the US, they make up 8% of the population. So on social media, because they dominate social media, they feel like sometimes the majority of the country but their their beliefs are actually really marginal like they like what what one of the one of these i think it was you have asked people um who do you think should be the next governor of the bank of england a man or a woman this is the kind of story that that drives our media into paroxysms you know like if, if it's a they've hired another white man oh you know they, right. they get they get the shivers um and um this poll found that five percent of people thought it should be a woman Three percent of people thought it should be a man. The va- everybody else pretty much didn't give a shit. You know? That's great. That's the reality. That's good progress. Yeah, most people think it that doesn't seems, matter. That but, seems indicative of the general population that I yeah, come across. Exactly. And, but but because these people, these thirteen percent or eight percent in the in the in the US, are so highly educated and so wealthy, they they dominate the media they dominate the gatekeeping positions in publishing companies and tv companies so, so so they really have the kind of commanding voice in our culture very often but they're a tiny minority of of, of who we are but it really does behave like a religion in a lot of ways mm. it really does and you know mark andreessen broke it down very eloquently where he's explaining that it has all of the things that a cult has mm. It has the indoctrination, it has the excommunication, we're ashamed, you kicked out of the group, the disconnect from the group members. It's a, it's got all those things to yeah. it. And that's like a big part of it is like worried about being shamed and, yeah. and cast out of the, the group, yeah. you know, which is terrifying for people. So they're willing to say and believe things that aren't that logical, <laughs> yeah. you know, just yeah. if they can stay in the group. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, um, it's natural. We, we believe what we have to believe in order to earn status in our in our groups and, and that's that's true for these people as it is true for for anyone else and I, yeah I, and i agree with the cult thing but but i would just add that all all human groups have cult elements they have yep. special languages they have rules hierarchies yeah. rewards and punishments it's just that cults are the tightest possible form of human group well, i learned that when i started doing martial arts because one of the things that was really interesting about the martial arts world is it's very cult-like yeah especially in when i did it in like the 80s the early 80s when i started they were, um, you know, they were the masters. You bowed to them. Mm-hmm. You know, you bow when you enter the, the – I was so committed to this that I had this girlfriend when I was in high school. And I had the keys to the gym because I would work out there like anytime I wanted. And I taught classes there mm-hmm. and stuff. 
and she wanted to have sex in uh, the and I couldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. She was so hot. But I, was, I wouldn't do it. I was like, I can't do it here. Like, yeah. this is not, this can't happen here. Mm. At like 17, I was so horny wow, and so wow. stupid. Wow. But I was like, uh-uh, we can't do it here. Yeah, I guess the power of the status. It was like yeah. a, like like now. I'd be like, where? <laughs> what are you <laughs> yeah. gonna do? You want to do it on the floor? <laughs> like, yeah. but back then, I was that was a religious place for me. I didn't think about it that way at the time. Mm. I just knew what the rules were. Yeah, and I was not violating those rules in yeah. any way. Like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah, you know. But that's uh, there was a lot of weird stuff where like uh, some of the masters would date some of the uh, mm. married women. It was it got real weird. Got real weird. Yeah, a real culty. I, I don't doubt it. Yeah. Oh, it's very culty because these, you know, you uh, adore this person who is commanding the group and getting everybody to march like to the bark of his voice, and everyone's doing. And he just commands all this attention and respect. Mm. So mm. it was a. Uh, there's the, the, the gym I went to was a very good place where it was very little of that shenanigans going on, but there was a bunch of them where it was like yeah. it was a big thing, mm. where like you, you hear that about like yoga places too, like the yoga guru guy starts banging people's yeah. wives. It's just like a, <laughs> <laughs> there was a place that I uh, bought out here that was owned by a cult. I bought a place for my comedy club. And I didn't wind up completing the deal. I got out of it because there was a, there were some problems with the property. And then I bought the place that I bought on 6th Street. Yeah, but before yeah. it, I bought this place called the One World Theater. Huh. And the One World Theater was created by this guy. His name was Jaime Gomez. And he was a gay porn star and a hypnotist. Whoa. And he started a cult. <laughs> he started a cult in West Hollywood. Wow. There's a documentary about it called Holy Hell. And then they moved out to Austin. And he had his followers build him this theater so that he could dance in front of them. And that was the place that I bought. So he could dance in front of dance them. Dance in front of them. Oh he put on performances and dance in front of them. <laughs> Just the followers. And <laughs> he had a incredible. gang of them, man. He had a wow. gang of them in um, L.A. and West Hollywood. And then when the Cult Awareness Network started going after mm. people, he took off. He thought they were on to him because <laughs> the parents were like, where's my fucking kid? <laughs> so then he moves to Austin wow. and builds this one world theater. So my friend Ron White tells me about the theater. He's like, because I tell him I'm, gonna, I'm looking for a comedy club location. Mm. And he goes, you should get that theater. It's amazing. So uh, Ron White's the, my hero. So I'm like, all right, I'll get that theater. And as I'm like in the middle of the purchasing it, my friend Adam calls me and goes, did you watch the documentary on that cult? Wow. I was like, oh, no. This is a, how bad is it? He goes, oh, dude, it's bad. you got to yeah. watch it. And it's crazy. Yeah. And it's these people that just get sucked into believing that this guy can give them enlightenment and connect them to God by touching their head. That's status. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they all. And the thing is, man, even after this guy got exposed and you know he was hypnotizing the men and having sex with them, it's crazy shit, right? Mm -hmm. But even after he got exposed, the people that went through the experience of having this guy touch their head when it was, it was called the knowing. It was built up for days and weeks wow. and. Some people were denied the knowing they could never get it and other people today is your day and they couldn't believe it And they would sit there on their knees and this guy would touch their head and they would be in ecstasy <laughs> And it looked real yeah. and they talked about it even after yeah. they're like this guy's a fraud He's a he's crazy. He was this he was that he was a manipulative and a liar But that moment I felt like I was connected to God. Yeah, yeah Like he yeah. did something to me and I felt I felt the world change forever God, the mind is a powerful thing. It's crazy yeah, how yeah, it works. Yeah. So what stopped you buying that theater then? There was a problem with the property. Uh, it wasn't because... No, no. Like, there right. was just some some issues and we couldn't negotiate it. And yeah. I was like, this is... And then I was like, you know what? It would probably be better to be in the city city, like where people walk 
Yeah. You know, just make it more convenient for folks too. Because people are used to going to Sixth Street. And then mm-hmm. I found that place and I got the, mm-hmm. the place that's there. But the cult, the cult, <laughs> that would have been a real problem because a lot of people think I'm already running a cult. <laughs> That would have been a real problem. <laughs> like how he bought a cult building. Yeah, yeah. But also for to me, it was the real problem was I don't necessarily know if I believe in energy, but I not energy, you know, I believe in energy. But I mean like that energy gets left in a space. Oh yeah. That like my stepdad went to Gettysburg. And he said, you can feel the sadness. And he's not like a mm. spiritual fucking Ouija board type dude. He's a very rational architect. Mm. And he's like, you feel the sadness. He goes, it's like yeah. you feel it. You feel how many people died here. Yeah, I get that it's, feeling it's, when I'm in feels Berlin. Like, like, like Berlin, people go on about how great oh. Berlin is, but there's... I always get this immense sense of heaviness when I've spent some time in Berlin. Like, the, do you the, think the, that's because you know, or do you think it's in the air? I don't know because I'm not expecting to feel that way. Right, uh, but, but but I don't know. It, 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 I, I mean, who knows? I mean, there's certainly. It, it, it's striking when you walk around Berlin, you still see all the sort of shrapnel marks in the sides of buildings are still there. It's kind of, that's quite confronting. But. That's why I was thinking, I don't necessarily know if I want that building. Yeah. Because that building was built by people who got juked by a con man. Yeah. He fucking just, yeah. He's, he fucking <laughs> shenanigans them into building him a theater. <laughs> and Even it, if there's 0.001% chance, you just, yeah. A lot of shit happened. I mean, mm. this one, one of the guys left and he sent this mass email. This guy's been abusing me for fucking years. Yeah. They, the whole thing is nuts. Like, they flew the guy to Hawaii and he started a new cult out there. Wow. It's in the documentary. Wow. They go visit him wow. in Hawaii. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But it's just... It's so fascinating yeah. how people just fall into these patterns. Mm. It's just a natural thing that we have to be aware of. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important. The, the way you say it and the way you talk about these things and the way you lay it out, it makes it so much more palatable to a lot of people. They, they look at it and go, oh, these are all just patterns that people play. Yeah. We believe what we have to believe in order to, Yeah, you know. And what, 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 I think one of the, one of the things that... that one of the things in history that's, that this status research has really made me understand is the rise of the Nazis. That, like, w- growing up in the UK, is always this question: how how could it have happened? How could this um, technologically advanced, sophisticated country descend into Nazism? And once you understand the role the status plays, it becomes completely, uh, for me, it's crystal clear. Like before the First World War, Germany was just absolutely killing it. They were the most successful country in continental Europe. They were like had you know, the, the massive, like the Apple and Google of the days, BASF, Siemens, you know, huge companies. They were producing a third of the world's potatoes. <laughs> you know, like, that, like quality of life had rocketed in the early part of the 19th century. And then the, the First World War happened and they just assumed we we're going to kill it because we we're amazing. And of course, they didn't kill it. They, 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 they lost. And so that's humiliating in itself. Um, and, you know, humiliation being the loss the loss of status. And then there was the Treaty of Versailles, which, which uh, was savage. You know, they had to give up a load of land. They had to, to give up their military. They had to pay the equivalent of hundreds of billions of dollars in um, reparations. Uh, when all that triggered hyperinflation, their economy collapsed. Um, we took their industrial <laughs> heartlands uh, off them. So it was humiliation upon humiliation. Then Hitler comes along. And so this is the thing that we were never taught about Hitler in schools, which is probably still a bit... I don't know, it's going to trigger people, but, 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 but it's the truth. Hitler was an incredibly successful leader of Germany for the time when he was uh, in charge. Um, the first thing which was a surprise to me was that 
when you see those black and white films of Hitler spitting and shouting and ranting, you assume that he's talking about the Jews all the time. Have you seen how they've translated into English now with AI? They're going voice? through it, yeah. In yeah. Hitler's voice. Yeah, it, I haven't seen that. No. that. I saw that going yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. Because of AI, one of the things that they can do now, like that they can do even with podcasts. So this podcast, when uh, Spotify runs its AI through it, They'll be able to translate you into perfect Spanish in your voice. Wow. And they have this technology now. I know they could do it in German, Spanish, and I think French. And, of course, English. And back okay. and forth. So they could do that with Hitler. For correctness, whether you believe that I have been <laughs> That's amazing. That I have advocated for you in these years. That I have been decent. I have spent my time in service of my people. Now cast your vote. If yes, then wow. stand up for me as I have stood up for you. See, he's wow. talking about... Uh, uh, that sounds so much scarier. <laughs> yeah, it does. Let me hear that. The eye voice hasn't really got the attitude. My work to... Meine Arbeit für Richtigkeit. Ob du glaubst, dass ich fleißig gewesen bin. <laughs> the fucking accent, boy. Yeah. There's something about German. When you hear him yelling, yeah. you're like, <laughs> instinctively. <laughs> I think it's burned into us. Yeah. But, he, but he's not, he, he, like, during the 30s, he wasn't ranting about the Jews because right. the, the, everybody was anti-Semitic in that, in that period in history. Um, but the middle classes, they didn't want to see the Jews being attacked and killed. It didn't play well. So they, he, he suppressed all of that stuff. And all that ranting, most of it he's talking about, I'm going to restore Germany's status. I'm going to, I'm going to create this Third Reich, this thousand-year kingdom. And that's what convinced people um, to support him. And he, he, did, a, he did, like, the, 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 like, some of the statistics are quite extraordinary. When, they, when the Nazi Party came in, a third of the population were unemployed. And by 1939, they had full employment. Between 1932 and 1939, GDP went up 81%. So he was doing the thing of restoring um, Germany's status. And when, um, when you see that footage of people going completely mad, that's when he's reversing the humiliations of Versailles. So he, so he, he took back the industrial heartland by force and nobody stood in his way. They went mad. Uh, he took Austria. Nobody stood in his way. So, so it was all about the restoration of status. That's, mm. that's, that explains the rise of Hitler. And they did, like, there, was, there was some mad stuff in the research, like women would get um, swastika tattoos. They would do the Hitler salute at point of orgasm. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoa, uh, that's kind of hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a butcher that was making swastika sausages. Um, uh, people would even name their female children after Hitler. Uh, pe pe people with tuberculosis would stare for hours at pictures of Hitler because they thought they would make them better. So, again, that's oh another God. example of that status. That's how mad people go for status. It that's was taken so away wild. from them. And he didn't just promise to restore it. For a while, he did restore it. So that's why they loved him. It wasn't to do with the, you know, with, with with really anything else. When do you think meth came into the picture? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. somewhere along the line, the Hitler story is not complete. Yeah. Unless you realize Hitler was a meth head. Yeah, and the, the, wasn't his, weren't his army on amphetamines? Everybody was on yeah. amphetamines. <laughs> yeah. That's how they talked the kamikazes yeah. into doing that. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a natural pattern no. of behavior for grown men. No. <laughs> No, flying no. planes and boats. No. You got to be fucking jacked. Yeah, Let's go, bitch. <laughs> no, you just yeah. want to take everybody yeah. out. 
but Hitler was a full-on meth head. Yeah. And there's video of him at the Olympics in 1936 just straight up tweaking. Mm. Have you ever seen that video? Yeah, I have, yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it's and if incredible. you see that video, that is, that's a guy, like, it's not, he's not just doing that once. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go to the Olympics. <laughs> my first time trying meth. No, that guy was a meth head, you know? That's it, blitz. That was the While book. other drugs are banned or discouraged, methamphetamine was touted as a miracle product wow. when it first appeared on the market in the late 1930s. I bet it was a miracle. Indeed, the little pill was the perfect Nazi drug. Germany awake, the Nazis had commanded. Energized, uh, energizing and confidence-boosting methamphetamine played into the Third Reich's obsession with physical and mental superiority. See? Superiority. Yeah. There you go. In sharp contrast to drugs such as heroin or alcohol, methamphetamines were not about escapist pleasure. Rather, they were taken for hyper-alertness and vigilance. Aryans were the embodiment of human perfection and Nazi ideology could now even aspire to be superhuman. Yeah. And such superhumans can be turned into super soldiers. That's it, superhuman. So it's yeah. the same as, same as the, um, uh, you know, the cult that was promising, uh, we're going to take you to a level above human it's, yeah. it's always the promise of these mad people that we're going to get you we're going to give you so much status that we're going to essentially become superhuman it's what the communists thought as well that the average human their intelligence would become so much that everybody would be a genius that's what they really believed that communism would, would lead to like the promise of these lunatics is always insane amounts of status and religions too that's yeah. what heaven is isn't it it's heaven is and it's also hope to people who have none yeah. But if you go along yeah. with this, and there's much more people that have none than have some yeah. and have a lot. Yeah. You know, those people are the problem. Let's go get them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're the reason why I'm so sad. Yeah. yeah. But you don't understand. That's just a trap. It's yeah. just a giant trap. It's that a massive they, trap. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's so, it's so wild that most people don't address it that way. They just mm. get, even really brilliant people I know, just get locked into these ideologically yeah. captured echo chambers. Yeah. And, and when there's a story that, um, our status has been unfairly um, squashed and it's these people's fault. That's mm -hmm. when it's dangerous. And of course you had that with the Nazis. They blame the Jews for everything. Um, but you also get that in certain, in this day and age, I mean, you know, like men get blamed for, <laughs> for a lot in this day and age. White people get blamed for a lot in this day and age. And that's why it gets a bit, I'm not, I'm not saying it's anywhere near as dangerous as that, of course, no, but, 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 it, but it's the same psychological kind of patterns repeating again and again and again. We, we, we've been unfairly deprived of status and it's their fault. And that's really dangerous, those kinds of stories. It is, but I, I feel like it's just an overcorrection. And I feel like it's the wind, the, you know, the wave washes this way and the wave washes that way. And if you look at the wave of what black people that have faced in this country, it's by every definition, it's yeah. far worse. Absolutely. Of course. Far, yeah, yeah, far, yeah, far, yeah. far, far, far yes. worse than anything <laughs> yeah. that white privileged people oh, are experiencing today. Obviously. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. That, that, it's that also a yeah. clear indication that an imbalance, which was always there, still exists in so many of these places mm. where people have the most despair mm. and people have done nothing to fix it. Mm. And those places, that a lot of them that have the most despair... It's directly connected to slavery. Yeah, like yeah. you could follow yeah, it to yeah. that poverty. That's yeah. where it came from. Yeah, like you, it's generations later, but they never recovered, and you don't do anything about it. Yeah, like that's that. When in the in the face of they just last night in the middle of the night passed some new Ukraine bill, mm. like in the middle of the night. I didn't know they, that they passed some bill. It's like how much is it, Jamie? Ninety five billion. Ninety five billion. Wow, plenty of money. <laughs> wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. imagine what they could have done with the money that they've already pumped into Ukraine, just mm. in the inner cities of this country. Yeah. Imagine. Imagine if there was, we said there's a war on 
crime and poverty and despair. This is our new war. Instead of a war on drugs, instead of a war on foreign countries, you know, questionable origins of how this conflict started. What about a war on the things that suck about America? Yeah. yeah. Know, well, like, that's, that, that's what I mean, that's what happened in, in America in the 1920s. There was the New Deal, the Social Security Act, the GI Bill. They pumped loads of money into fixing America after the, the Great Depression. And it worked. Like there, there was a whole era in America. They called it the Great Compression because it was a compression between the gap between the rich and the poor. And that was the era in which a, a, an ordinary American person with a, without a college degree could could have a house and a car and a vacation every year and a wife at home raising their children. Yeah, that's and, how it can know. work without socialism. Yeah. Like, everybody rise up. Not, yeah. not fucking take all the money away from the <laughs> successful people. Yeah. You could rise up too, but we have to figure out a way to fix these problems that have existed forever in this country yeah. that get no attention. Yeah, yeah. This, at, at a certain point, like one of my favorite stories of this, layer, this year was when Xi Jinping came to San Francisco because when uh, San Francisco has this horrible homeless problem, it's really bad where they have tents everywhere. Mm. But when he came, they cleaned everything. They took everybody away. They don't know whether nobody said nothing. They put up fences where the, wow. so they couldn't put the tents there anymore. They put up fences mm. in front of these buildings where the, they would camp out. They just took them all away. And then when Xi Jinping came through, it was all beautiful. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? It literally sounds <laughs> yeah. like what we yeah. would say China would do. Yeah. We, we would make, if we, would gonna, we were going to make fun of a foreign country that we were in dispute with, we would say, yeah, and when we sent our leaders there, you know what they did? They fucking got rid of all the protesters. They, everybody was protesting. They killed the protesters. They, they took all the homeless people away, all the bums in the street <laughs> yeah. urchins. This we is what say, totalitarianism yeah, looks like. Yeah, that's what totalitarianism yeah, looks yeah, like. That's yeah. what they did in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. It's just – but the people that live there are so in that cult. They're yeah. so in that leftist cult that they're mm. never going to go, hey, mm. this is not working. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah. doesn't yeah. matter how many fucking yeah. needles you have to jump over, yeah. how much human shit's in the street. They'll keep voting the same way. Yeah, because they have to believe what they have to believe in order for their peers to give them the – Your thoughts on this, the way you describe it, is the only way that makes sense. Mm. It, it, it must be a status game that you can't get out of. Yeah. Otherwise, they would have gotten out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, almost, it's counterintuitive mm. to success and, and the evolution of the, the, the community. It's counterintuitive to yeah. it. I mean, one of my favorite ones is the, the satanic panic was an insane yes. status game and thing. And, and, and so that, that began in the early 80s. And Essentially, what you're doing is you're saying to a bunch of therapists and family counsellors um, that, 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 that you can be a, 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 like an like a incredible hero because America is full of these Satanists running kindergartens and yes. they're secretly abusing your children and we need to go and hunt them out. And so, so because that belief gives them status, they, they all decide to believe it. And, 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 so, and, and the same with the police. The police think they, think they were like... On the hunt for the, you know, these well, they also local like put cops. memories into children's yeah. heads yeah. and had those children come back and, and change their stories. That's right. I mean, and, and some of the some of the um, stories that were that came out that were believed. It was like children were saying they had their eyelids stapled shut. There was one kid that said 
that she got flushed down a toilet into a, a secret underground abuse chamber. Somebody, <laughs> so, so, somebody How said, "How big is this and, kid?" Uh, that was it. It began with this book. Yeah, Pazda's Michelle remembers. Michelle remembers yeah. the discredited 1980s book written by Canadian psychiatrist Lawrence Pazda. Yeah, one that began it all. Like and, she, she, she said that she she um was she had. Um, devil horns and a tail surgically attached and to her body. And he married her. Did he? I I know yeah, so uh, uh, an uh, eventual uh, wife. I bet she was hot. <laughs> the uh, crazy ones like that, I bet she was fun. And That's um, what happened. He bought into it. He's like, yeah, baby. Yeah, he, flushed he, the said, toilet. Uh, he said, uh, uh, at first I thought she was making it up, but then I thought it was true. Uh, and, uh, and according to her story, there was an 81-day satanic ritual where, the, where, the, where Jesus and the archangel Gabriel turned up and conveniently removed all the scars of her abuse there was there was nothing left oh that's convenient yeah, yeah. i bet but, she was hot but but the amazing thing about the satanic panic was that um i think it was like there was 190 arrests 83 people went to prison oh my god one person went to prison on the solely on the basis of the testimony of a three-year-old child oh my god um, so uh, this one couple that owned a daycare spent 22 years in prison and there was never obviously never physical any physical evidence there was no tigers or sharks or <laughs> you know scars in the eyelids where they step with them shut but people pe- people were offered status to for believing this bullshit so they believed it and, and therapists, police officers, lawyers, judges. Oprah was big on it. Geraldo Rivera was big on it. Journalists were big on it. Everybody believed, even though there was no evidence. Like one of the one of the great guiding slogans of the Satanic Planet people was "Believe Children," which has <laughs> amazing echoes, doesn't it? Of stuff it does. that goes today. That's what it they said. Does. So you had to believe the children, and and they had this they had this statistic that only two in every thousand children make this stuff up. So you have to believe them. So they'd even have badges, "Believe Children." They had the "Believe Children" um, organization. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I never Can you of... show me a photo of the woman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see if she's hot. I bet she was. <laughs> and I bet it goes back to what you're talking about, too, though, because I think status in his relationship with his woman yeah. allowed him to believe some nonsense. And also the $300,000 advance he got for his book. Well, so much for my theory. <laughs> <laughs> But that's Damn, the, that's she the might have been just stuff. fun. It, you know, it, 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 but people, he was ugly too, though. For him, that's probably as good as he gets. Right? You got to judge it on a curve. Is this her? <laughs> that's Ooh. older, bro. No one looks great when they get yeah, old. That's not fair. That's not fair, you son of a bitch. Who is? But this, these are older pictures. She, she's a young woman here. These pictures. What is the one when she's a young life. woman? The one up there in the corner. Is that when they first arrested her? Yeah, these are from the eight. Let me put it on the screen. These are from like the eighties or whatever this started. But whatever mm. I was just looking at, like this NPR brought up says QAnon revives the satanic panic. But who is this woman? Oh, well, maybe that's man. her now. I don't know. The problem is some people are crazy and they will make up stories. And then there's people that are just trapped in these witch hunts, like yeah. the like the McCarthyism of the the fifties. Yeah. Everyone was a communist. Yeah, I mean Oppenheimer got roped into that shit. Yeah, there's there's so many people that were being accused of being communists. If you went to one meeting, like what's this all about? Well, that's it. And people and call in... those moral panics, but yeah. I don't think they are moral panics. They're status gold rush. Right. It, you know, so the status on offer for finding Satanists was. Massive. They were, mm-hmm. like the government pumped tens of millions of dollars into these organizations. They became famous. There was yep. one person who interviewed children who, who who got paid hundreds of thousands.
thousands of dollars for into uh, uh, and, they, and <sighs> they're kids so when they're saying i got flushed down a toilet i got a, a forced to kill baby tigers it's clearly stuff that four-year-olds are inventing right but it was taken to be serious and people went to prison for years uh, on the basis of this testimony and and so so that's that that that's another thing that changed my thinking this idea of moral panics i think often moral panics are actually just these status frenzies status mm. kind of gold rush movements where there's so much status on offer for believing this nonsense that people yeah. helplessly because that's how we're wired start to start to believe it boy social media doesn't do us any favors with that does no. it no. God, the ability to just tweet out something the moment something hits the news mm. or whatever and your hot take on it how many fucking people have lost their careers <laughs> yeah because of a hot take yeah yeah exactly I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I was talking about those different kinds of status, virtue status, success status. Virtue status is the easiest status to get. Success is hard. You've got right. to become competent. You've got to become good at something. Virtue is easy, right. especially on social media. It's you know, so, so, so that's why it sort of becomes addictive. People just make themselves feel good, get these little hits of feel good. But it's also indicative of who you are because th- no one who's like really competent at something is engaging in that all day mm. long. Like that, that thing is usually by people that don't feel like they're getting the attention they deserve. Yeah. And then they'll go after whatever the fuck it is that Absolutely. can elevate yeah. them. Yeah. Whatever it is. Whatever cause there is that's mm. du jour. Yes. You know, <laughs> you have to fucking, yeah. that you get to either yell at people or yell with people. Yeah. And, and I think for me, it's interesting. I don't know whether this is true or not, but one of my sort of pet theories is that the rise of all this social justice activism online happens. Um, after the financial crisis, so in, in 2008, it begins with the Occupy movement, and you can sort of draw a straight line through Occupy mm. to what's going on today. And I think there's a sense amongst millennials and Gen Zs, partly a real true sense, that the success games that we were playing in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s are over now. The game is fixed um, for, for, for millennials and Gen Zs. Life is harder in lots of real ways. They can't get on the property ladder. They've got massive student debt. Yeah. They're underemployed. Um, so, so, so what do you do if you can't play the success games that we Gen X has played in the 90s? Well, you play virtue games instead. So, you know, we have to get our status from somewhere. So yeah. if, if success is hard, we're, we're going to do more virtue. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's p- at least part of the explanation for what's happened since. You know, that's what the financial crisis was. This, you know, the story that we were left with was that these people were were unpunished, uh, that the, the, the game is fixed, it's dangerous, it's, um, it's not working anymore. So there's yeah. a lot of anger, you know, comes out of that. Yeah. It's, um, it's just so unfortunate how easy it is to engage in this behavior and how l- few guidelines there are mm. to, like, other than your work and some other people have talked about it, but it's like it, the way you're saying it and the way you're saying it in your book and the way you said it on trigonometry – it, it allows people to have like a look at the wiring under the board mm. like oh this is what the problem is and i would hope that people that are engaged in that realize like what a psychological capture that shit is it's it's so weird for you because you get i've i've had friends that have had like real problems with like engaging with people on on twitter like they'll they'll post a hot take yeah. and then someone will post back and they'll be like walking down the street and they can't even walk 5 steps before they're checking they want to check their likes <laughs> yeah. and check their thing yeah. and see who's yeah. responding and then respond to the person who's responding and fuck you and fuck this and and everybody's trying to zing on everybody and it's it's not good it's not good in any way shape or form it never turns out well there's no. never one of those you go i feel good about that, <laughs> yeah, that, that was that, really good i definitely won that one not, yeah that, not just, just that happen. but i feel like we got some good accomplishments mm. no that's most of those are not that most of yeah. those are hostile weird um it, like 
unnatural ways of communicating. You're just mm. communicating through text with strangers. It's yeah. like so unnatural. And it is. It's, I mean, that's what that's what social media is. It's it's they've 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 took, taken the status games of life and put them in yeah. in your phone. I mean, and that's what like like in the '90s there was all this like from Wired magazine and people all this digital utopianism. They thought that when we were all online. Um, it was going to create this hierarchy-free utopia. But, of course, that's not what happens. When you connect billions of people together, yeah. they play status games. That's what they do. And that, those three games of dominance, virtue, and success, that's social media. You know, we're pushing each other around. We're virtue signaling, and we're showing off about our success. Yeah. That's what we're doing. And that's why, you know, that's why social media is so addictive because every time you make a contribution to social media, you're, like, pulling the wheel of that slot machine and... Give me Either love. your status goes up or it goes down, and yeah. that's why they're doing this because it's, it's it's compulsive because mm-hmm. we're gambling with a resource that is in- incredibly important to us. Yeah, and you can do so in a way that never existed before. Mm. Like, if you're some guy who's shredded and you just do fucking curls <laughs> on on Instagram all day, you'll yeah. get a lot of people to pay attention to you. Yeah, absolutely. You just have workouts with your shirt off, you'll get a lot of followers. If you're a woman in your underwear. Rolling around, you know, on on sheets and stuff, you get a lot of followers for doing not much else. And and that's the that, that that's the sort of the halting thing when I realised that actually, you know, status is a resource that we need. If we don't get enough status, we get mentally ill and we get physically ill too. So being low status is bad for us physically. And a lot of people have more status in their phones than they do in their actual real life. You know, mm. they're going to their ordinary job in their ordinary town but on this platform they're really someone they've got a bunch of followers so so, so it's that's that shows you how you know why social media is so powerful it's like it's been globally successful in every culture um social media is caught on because it's offering something that humans fundamentally value enormously and need to survive which is which is status it's a new way of harvesting this incredibly valuable resource that we value more than gold you know when you say that people get physically ill from it, like what happens to people when they don't get status physically? Well, it's the same as I think it's quite well known that loneliness is bad for us, but loneliness is connection. Status is the same. So there, there was a bunch of really interesting experiments done in the UK in the British Civil Service, which is a massive organisation, hugely stratified. And this guy, Dr. Michael Marmot, and his team went in there to, and they they found that um, your place in the hierarchy predicted your health outcomes, and this wasn't to do with how healthy you were in other respects or it wasn't to do with your diet, you know, where they controlled for all of that stuff. Um, um, literally, the person one down from the very top had slightly worse health outcomes than the person at the very top. And they were really significant. So for middle-aged people, uh, the people at the bottom of the hierarchy had four times the risk of death than the people at the top of the hierarchy. Wow. And, then they, and then other academics went into the lab and they did an experiment with, with monkeys, I think baboons. And they gave these monkeys these delicious diets of like pizza and ice cream. They basically <laughs> made them really unhealthy. So filled them with atherosclerotic plaque um, and, figured, and tried to work out who got sick and who didn't get sick as a result of their terrible diets. And it was. It was the, peop- the, the monkeys at the bottom of the hierarchy got, got sick more, you know, more reliably than the people than the monkeys at the top, and then even cru- on the ter- same terrible diet. Yeah, and and crucially, they then they then somehow changed the hierarchy, and the health outcomes changed in long, lockstep. So, the, so the, the monkey that was at the How top. How did they change the hierarchy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they did that. Because oh, no, I seems probably like... don't want to know. It's probably really horrific. Right, with monkeys, yeah. like, how do you pull you know, that off? Yeah. So, Mon- so, so, so it is. It's the it's the it's the status hierarchy, and, and and it's for the same reason as loneliness. When the brain 
registers that we're that we're, we're lacking in the resource of status it puts us into that stress state of yeah. raises inflammation lowers antiviral response and we're not designed to be in that state for long periods of time um it's that that's a, that's a a response that's designed for being you know being chased or attacked it's supposed to be like this mm. and so chronic inflammation is really bad for us it makes us more vulnerable to you know cancer alzheimer's all kinds of horrific um um, issues. So, so that's why lacking in status is is bad for our physical health. It's the same reasons why loneliness is bad for our physical health. And that has to play a role in what state. gets diagnosed as depression. Then, oh, status is massive for depression. Um, a sudden drop in status is a is a red flag for for suicidal ideation. When we suddenly drop in status, mm. um, so, so, so you know, anxiety, depression, self harm is all tied to feeling sort of low in status. And in my in my spare time, I volunteer back in the UK for a, a, a like a crisis hotline. People phone it, particularly when they're suicidal. Oh and man, what a great thing if someone suicidally get a hold of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool conversation. You know, some people. <laughs> They'd be droning on and on, you're like, bro, you're not inspiring. Help me out. Well, what I found is that the people who are suicidal who call me, there's, there, there's generally three reasons why people get suicidal in my experience on the phones. The first one is chronic pain, people, obviously. Uh, second one is people struggle with recent bereavement. People become suicidal when somebody they love or a pet they love um, has gone. But the, by far the most common reason people phone when I've spoken to a suicidal is to do with their... Yeah, I call it identity failure. That they, they, they're, they're severely lacking in connection or status, usually both. And not only are they lacking, they're stuck. They're trapped. They feel like there's nothing I can do. My life is so fucked. There's no way I can ever meet anybody. There's no way I can ever feel statusful in the world. And and so 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 yeah, this is it's it's a massive red flag for uh, you know that's 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 a, a huge reason why humans choose to end their lives because they, they, they feel like I, I'm severely lacking in connection and status. This is such an important thing to talk about because this is never discussed when people talk about depression. All mm. they ever want to tell you is that it's a chemical problem. It's not your fault. That's all they ever want to tell you. Yeah. They don't want to tell you that the quality of your life affects the way you feel. Mm. And if you're doing what you no. want to do and you have good friends and you're having fun times and you're a good person, you're nice to people, mm. they're nice back, they like being around you because you're fun, then your life is better. But that's connection. Status yeah. is also really, you know, it's, 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 it's rooted it's essential. in that. Yeah. It's, a, yeah. it's a big part of that. And all of that contributes to this thing that we call depression. Absolutely. Yeah. And no one wants to say that. They want to say, get on this. Come on, man. Mm. We got something for you, buddy. Yeah, it's Pop a, this. Yeah, yeah. Come it's, on, it's, cra- it's crazy Play because because it, it seems so obvious. <laughs> it seems so obvious. It does, you know, but you yeah. can't bring it up. No, it's almost like it's a forbidden topic. Mm. Like you, you can't say. Well, how much of it is like what you're doing with your life? Yeah, um, uh, does that factor in at all? How much of it is like the kind of friends you're around? Well, what kind of relationship? Exactly. You're in? I mean, one of the things I do because of my knowing about status, but I'm on the phone with these people, is I always make the point of at the end of the call trying to build them up a bit you know i tell them and i mean it sincerely that the 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 fact that they phoned in this what is probably the worst night of their life is heroic that they're courageous that most most people don't suffer like you're suffering and and you know so 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 what you're you know like these and it always it always goes down well they always go oh my god wow you know no one's ever said that stuff to me before like it's like a you know, it's magic, the effect it has on the phones when you just give people a bit of, I think you're an impressive person, I think you're kind, I think you're smart, or whatever it is that I feel yeah. they are on the phones. There was a, there was a case recently in, in the UK, um, a teacher 
um, a head teacher uh, killed herself when her school was inspected by the government inspectors and it went down from outstanding to inadequate oh, you know God. and she, she she killed herself and, and they fa- they found her journals from like the day before she did that and and she said she said in the journal um the words inadequate keep flashing before my eyes oh, i mean so that's God. yeah that I mean, so that's that's horrific it was a big oh. scandal about oh you know are these judgments can we really reduce a judgment of the quality of a school to one word um, uh, but 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 that was an example of somebody. Her, you know, the, her problem was that she was really proud of the school she was running. It was an outstanding school, and suddenly it went to inadequate. And the pain of that sudden loss of status was too much for this poor woman to. Was it an accurate with. statement, or was uh, was it? I don't was know. the school doing poorly for some reason, or was I it just know. a cunty person? <laughs> but that, that's the question. That's I mean, the I problem with cuntiness, right? Yeah. We kind of tolerate that kind of communication mm. with people and we, we look in and we watch from a side like oh mm. you know but there's something to that that is you're, you really are pumping out negativity mm. it does have an actual effect on human beings on the other end as much as you like to pretend it's some sort of a sterile professional act that you're doing you're, you're that's it yeah, you're pumping out shitty yeah. things. And I mean, you're doing you, it for status, right? And we, well, when you take someone's status away, like they took her status away, yeah. you're, it, I feel of it is like an act of social violence. Like our, our identity is of massive importance to us. And so when someone takes that away, that's why acts of actual physical violence, while they often happen, is when someone is disrespectful to somebody else. Yes. And the act of physical violence doesn't only restore that status back to its sort of set point. It turns that humiliation into a sense of pride. You know, yes. you know, so, so so that's why violence is so um, tempting. It's why if you if you have the capacity for violence, it, it's often used because it, it can transform that sense of humiliation into a sense of pride. It turns a negative status into a positive status. And, and yes, the key is to have enough faith that you don't care. Yeah. You have to have enough where you don't mind some little breach <laughs> of your status. You're like, oh, yeah. really? Mm. Someone disrespects you. You don't have to prove to them. Mm. Because you have to understand what game you're playing. Mm. And most people don't. Like the consequences yeah. of violence are grave. Oh, like yeah. you do not want to engage in mm. this this pattern of behavior that people have locked into their brain. Mm. Most of the time, we don't use it. You know, the vast majority of human history, they used it a lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <they did. laughs> yeah. That yeah. again is carved yeah. into your brain. Yeah. You must resist. Yeah. You know, in uh, any way. And most, but most sort of violent acts, it, it sort of concentrates in young men mm-hmm. uh, who are lower on the socioeconomic scale. So mm-hmm. they're, they're people who are more aggressive by nature physically because they're, they're built for that. But, but, but the socioeconomic stuff... They feel slighted. Yeah, but they're, they're, their sense of status yeah. is much more fragile because they're, 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 they haven't got some great job. They haven't got a college yeah. education. And so they're much more worried about, insecure about their sense of status. So when you take it away from them, it's, it's, it's kind of much more That's a real danger of the status game of telling those people that someone's done this to you mm. and that those people, those people should not be heard from. Mm. You know, yeah. those people, the, the reason why you're in the situation that you're in. When you're empowering people to hate someone specifically because of the way they look, no matter what you think the justifications of that, it's the exact same thing in every culture when that happens. Mm. It's just racism. Yeah, absolutely. It's all it is. Yeah. And you can and you're getting trapped into it because of what you're talking about, because mm. it's a status game and you mm. could you could dominate someone by calling them out because of their privilege and you could stop a conversation in its tracks yeah. and become completely illogical. Mm. 
just by deciding I'm not listening to a white man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's absolutely right. It's that, interesting. That's absolutely true. It's yeah. interesting because it's like it's the oldest trick in the book. It's mm. been around for so long. And um, we would think that we would learn. But there's something about us where we don't see the exact same thing. If it's not Nazis with swastikas, mm. <laughs> we don't see that's it coming. It. Well, I, I think, what, again, it's that story-setting brain. We're playing a status game. But 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 we our conscious experience of life is a story, and it's a, it's this fiction, and the story always wants wants to make us heroic, so we're virtuous, and I think that makes uh, people's hatreds are invisible to them. So you you, you could say to somebody, and I have said to somebody <laughs> relatively recently, um, you know, I think you hate men. You've you've got a problem with men. You're always saying this about men and that about men, like. It's, it's, it's not very nice. And then she said to me, well, you don't understand the problems I've had in my life with men. I've been abused. I've been just that and the other. All of which is true. But, but so that's her brain telling herself a heroic, virtuous story that justifies her, her hatred of this class of human beings. And that's true for everybody. That's true for people who hate women. That's also true for misogynists. Mm-hmm. That's true for, um, you know, white people who hate black people. That's true yep. for everybody's hatred is dressed up in a virtuous story. And I, mm. and I think that's right. As soon as you start identifying a class of human being and saying these people are low status, these people are the source of my problems, mm-hmm. that's when, when you know that's happening to you. And, you know, at some point it happens to all of us. It, it's human nature. We are xenophobic by design. You know, our, our groups, our status games, we feel we're wired to feel they're superior because they're our source of status. So this stuff is incredibly tempting. Like, I, like I, I, you know, like, I, uh, you know, we, we've all fallen for this stuff in our, in, if we're honest, in, a, in our pasts. Yeah. And I think it's just really important just to be on the lookout for it and, and, and to be conscious of the fact that our brains are really good at turning our hatreds into a virtue. They're really good at telling us, no, you're right, you're mm. right. These people are the, are the problem. Um, and your um, animus towards them is actually a good thing. It's heroic. Boy, what a weird fucking programming that we have. Yeah, well, it's pure tribalism, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's so bizarre to see how baked in that is. Mm. You know, and, and even with really well-intentioned, highly educated people. You know, they just get sucked into it. Well, especially, you probably know about the studies that show that intelligence is no inoculation to this stuff. So so, so, so being more intelligent um, doesn't make you any better at finding reasons why your stories about the world are false. Right. But it does make you better at finding reasons why they're true. So really smart people can give you 10 reasons why they're justified in their hatred of this, that and the other. Mm. Whereas somebody that's smart can only give you like three or four. So, 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 so intelligence is no inoculation to this stuff. If anything, it makes it, it makes, makes it kind of worse. I mean, one of my stories that I wrote in one of my books um, uh, called The Heretics uh, was I was hanging out with this guy, David Irving. Do you know David Irving? No. So David Irving was, is a, was a really well-respected historian of the Second World War. Um, and he just decided one day that Hitler was actually, in his words, a friend of the Jews. And ha- and, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what he said. And, and he had no idea the Holocaust had happened and it was all done by what? his subordinates. Yeah, yeah. He's been to prison for his, for his, for his anti-Semitic beliefs. Like, like, but, but he was really respected. Like, the reason we know about Dresden, the firebombing of Dresden, was because of his scholarship. I think even in Slaughter Highest Five, he's mentioned positively. And so he's completely excommunicated now from, his, from the historical you know, establishment. Um, he, 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 he believes this stuff so passionately that, that, that he was kind of offered the opportunity to 
withdraw his opinions in an Austrian court. It's in his 70s, this was, and he refused and went to, he went to prison in his 70s. And so what I did, because wow. <laughs> in, in my book, The, the Heretics, it's called The Unpersuadables in the US. It was about why people believe crazy things and the stories that we tell. And I wanted to hang out with him because he's an incredibly intelligent man who has this fucking mad you know beliefs about uh, about the world and so what i did was in order to make money at the time he was selling these tours of um holocaust sites so you you could pay two and a half grand and go for a week with him on these tours and he would give you the real in inverted commas history of what actually happened in these places where was he getting this information from supposedly well i mean he was from the archives i mean it was his own scholarship but he was doing that thing that you know he was finding his own interpretations of this scholarship and what did he say about like the trenches filled with bodies oh well i mean he he went through a period of outright holocaust denial which which he then kind of repented and and the reason that that his his flirtation with outright holocaust denial was based on this study this guy (laughs) this guy um he took a chip out of the wall of one of the gas chambers and had it analysed. And he said... Is this the Dr. Death thing? I don't, I don't think so. There was a documentary on this guy, Dr. Death, it who might was a be. guy who made uh, execution equipment in the United States. And he got roped up with this Holocaust denier group and they sent him to Auschwitz to Maybe. examine. The, and, he, and he said that it didn't show any of the signs of gas. No, the, the, the one that got Irving <laughs> was, that, was that this person said, well, the amount of toxins in this concrete isn't even enough to... Um, kill a cockroach but what what he didn't understand was that cockroaches are really unbelievably good at surviving and it's much easier to kill a human than a cockroach well not only that that (laughs) stuff subsides into the we looked at it the other day that stuff subsides into the atmosphere very quickly like if you if you used it in a room and then opened up the doors, it would go into the atmosphere very quickly. Okay, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, but I mean, to be fair to Irving, because he did re- he did admit that that he'd made a mistake there, but he's still a, 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 a deeply, deeply anti-Semitic man. I mean, when when I was talking to him, so this, he this was became... from the beginning, and uh, then that flavored his Holocaust denial. Well, it was weird. What, what what I got from him was that he actually was somebody that is very pro-British Empire. And I think he uh, liked Hitler. Like his family, his, he, his history goes back to, you know, he's all very embedded in the British Empire. And, and, he, and he, he blamed Hitler. He, he liked Hitler because Hitler was modelling the Third Reich on the British Empire. And we had to kind of relinquish empire to pay for the Second World War or something. So, he, so that, that was my sense. But, but more interesting than Irving were the people that, because the people that were on the tour were actual proper Nazis. Like they had proper Nazi tattoos, <laughs> like full on. And I was undercover. So I had to pretend uh, that I was also like them. It was kind of a scary week. Um, but one of the most. Did you get to talk to any of them? All of them. I was hanging out with them. I was on holiday with them. <laughs> I was on a coach with them and going, yeah. Like what it was, are they like? They're so weird. So. They're they're all men. <laughs> um, they, I mean, I write about this in the book. I hesitate to to say it, but 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 I, I do write about it. They, they were quite nice. So so so, <laughs> so, so, so this You're is so British. <laughs> so, so so this is the, this is the weird thing. Okay, so what happened was I interviewed David Irving on day one, and and you know. At the time, I was a Guardian journalist. I couldn't hide my disdain for him, and it, and I, I kind of fucked up. I, I let it be known through my line of questioning that I felt he was a racist lunatic. So he kind of walked off and I was kind of panicking 
um, because I was thinking I've not got enough material for my book. I need to interview him again. And I was talking to the Nazis <laughs> about, oh, I'm freaking out. And then, it, and then um, the person organizing the tour, I kept hassling and saying, I need to speak to David again. I need to speak to David again. And she said to me, oh, you know, you might not know this, but all the boys have got together. And in your lectures at the end of the day, they're all asking questions um, asking David questions that they think are going to be useful and helpful for your book because they think you've been really badly treated. And I just thought, oh, that's so nice of them. Nice. I know. But that's the thing. They, they, and that's what I write about in the book. It's like the, the idea that these are monsters. That's storytelling. They're just blokes who've made a mistake about the world. And what was most interesting about that was that the majority of those men had parents that had fought for the Nazis in the Second World War. So there was one guy on the last night of the of the of the of the trip. They were going to have the showing of the you know the film Downfall, the super. Did you have the film Downfall? No, it's a German film. It's incredible. It's a super realistic um, uh, account of the last seven days of Hitler's life in the Hitler bunker. It's an incredible, incredible film. It's all it's all set in the bunker. Um, and so Irving was going to show Downfall and give his alternative take on what was really going on. And one of these guys couldn't watch Downfall because his dad was in the bunker with Hitler and he found it too upsetting. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. So my, my takeaway from that was that these, David Irving aside, these guys had all been brought up by parents who were proper Nazis. And obviously Nazis are synonym for evil. And they couldn't cope with the fact that their dads, probably, mums perhaps as well, um, were evil. So they'd, so they'd, they'd, they'd kind of gone on this lifelong mission to convince themselves that the Holocaust was this kind of fabrication and that none of it actually happened. Wow. So the stories that in brain kicks in, they couldn't allow themselves to believe this horrific thing about their parents who they adored and looked up to. And probably their parents had filled their head with some of this stuff too, you know. Knowing what you know about our desire for status and how that's just impossible to remove from the, the human mind and, the, and human society... Do you think that we could have like a warning guidebook for human beings? The same way the Constitution is sort of a warning guidebook yeah. to establish a republic. Like, let's make some real clear checks and balances and let's make sure that the senators and the congresspeople and all this stuff gets in place and the judicial branch. And they planned it out to make sure that one person couldn't just kind of take over and mm -hmm. run it. It feels like. We should have guidelines, specifically that we teach people at an early age, mm. to recognize that and call it out when you see it, mm. and go, no, 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 yeah, this is not, you know, I know what you're doing, like you're you're hijacking this for your own good, yeah, and we know when people do it, we can't say it because yeah. if they attach themselves to a virtuous cause, what are you criticizing? Blank, you know, like yeah. you, what are you yeah. a, a Nazi, a racist, a transphobe, whatever it is, yeah, it's like. We should be able to see those outside of the merits of the ideas that we're discussing. So whatever we're discussing, mm. whatever it is, it's some sort of pu public social issue that everybody's debating. We should be able to discuss it outside of this status trap yeah. where if you yell this, everybody goes, yeah, yeah. or yell that. That should be childlike. Yeah. We should like shun people to do that <laughs> and teach people at a fucking really early age not to do it. Mm. It's hard to learn because there's no precedent. It's not like there's like, you know, a hundred years of history on how to use the internet properly. Mm. Nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, they're just doing it because it seems like a thing to do that makes you feel good. Gives you a little shitty dopamine spike. And so they just dive in. But if we could 
explain to people when they're very young, when they're impressionable. These are patterns mm. that human beings fall into, and this is why they do these things that you think they're, they're being mean or mm. they're being bullies. This is why. These are all the patterns. Yeah. And so the kids could get it in their head, and maybe they could stop doing it while they're doing it at a young age and learn better patterns. And then as they get older, just sort of like have a much more rational way of interfacing with people. Yeah, I think so. I think I think I think we should be taught this stuff. I mean, one of the things that I took away from this was that you get this idea about fascism and totalitarians. How that happens is that these evil people you come marching in and forcing everybody to believe certain things. Yeah. But when you look at, um, say, the rise of the Nazis fascist totalitarians they don't go in and force you to do anything they tell you stories that you want to hear they flatter you into you know that's what the nazis did they they, they told the germans you're right they're wrong we're going to get you what you deserve and we're going to take it out on these people that who, whose fault it is so 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 so, so this you know this this fascist government this 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 horrific episode in our history it, it, it didn't begin with force. It began with telling people stories, stories that they wanted to hear, simplistic stories about status, about you're wrong, um, it's their fault, we're going to, I'm going to give you what, you know, we're going to make Germany great again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people, people love that stuff. I mean, the, the, the other thing that I think is that people, that, that people sort of need to hear at the moment, I suppose, is about... You can't take the status away from a group of people and expect no pushback. So that you know that that that's why Trump got voted in because since the sixties the left have stopped caring about the white working class and poverty and started caring much more about minorities and women for lots of very good reasons, obviously. But 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 when you ignore in a group and they feel disparaged and 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 the real working wages for the white working class in America has fallen since the since the sixties their quality of life has has plummeted, um, they're going to react. And it's the same way that I feel that we're, that we're treating young men at the moment. You can't raise a, a generation of young men in an environment where, where you take all their status away and not expect them to react. So people yeah. worry about, oh, my God, Andrew Tate, how are people flocking to these the, 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 these men that I, I don't know anything about Andrew Tate, but, you know, say he is misogynist. Um, what, how, how could it be that the, our young men are, are flocking to this individual? It's because you're calling them a You know, you're calling them... Yeah names you're re you're removing their status so you can't you know the left need to understand that you can't disparage and dismiss and insult these entire categories of people and i speak as a lifelong left-wing person yeah. you can't do that and not expect some pushback my friend duncan said that about the pandemic mm. when the the people on the left were attacking all the people on the right he said dude this is going to lead to a totalitarian right-wing government. Mm. He goes, watch what this happens. Yeah. Watch what happens. Because all these people on the left are going crazy. It's like, and when I saw the, the riots and shutting down the streets, he was like, oh, this is going to lead to a totalitarian right-wing government because it's going to be the opposite reaction to this. Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. So, the, the, yeah, the, the, the harder one hits, the harder the response, mm -hmm. and then the harder they hit back, and it, yep. and it ratchets up. Till civil the, the war. Rhetoric, <laughs> <laughs> but the rhetoric ratchets up, doesn't it? I mean, that, 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 that's what yeah. happens. It's, um, it, it is potentially dangerous. It's potentially very dangerous, and it's not dangerous right here yet, right mm. now. No. But it is in, if you're in Gaza, it yeah. certainly is if you're in Ukraine. It mm. certainly is in other parts of the world where they convince people that these people are the bad people and we're yeah. the good people. Yeah. And go get them. Mm. Whew. And yeah. then there's the reality of bad people. Yes. What do you do <laughs> exactly. about them? I mean, yeah. you can't just ignore the fact no. that there's terrorists out there. Yeah. Like, you got to look at all of it. You yeah. gotta, the whole thing is fucking nuts. And if we can recognize patterns and how people fall into patterns, I think we can have less nuts. 
just like this has to be established like at a young age. Yeah. You got to get it in. It's hard for people once they've become mm. set in their ways and especially if they're like politically active or socially active online and they're really kind of addicted to it. That's mm. really where they get their jollies from. If you just tell them right now, you got to cut that out. Like, what am I going to do for 10 hours a day? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. literally what I do. <laughs> you know, that's one of my um, things that I've always gone back and forth in my head about is universal basic income. Mm. One part of me is always like, you know what? If people just had enough money for food and shelter, then they could go do what they want to do. They could chase their dreams and pursue their dreams. The other part of me is like, yeah, but then they're not going to have any incentive to do anything. They're going to have their food taken care of. They're going to have their shelter taken care of. And they're just going to fucking – there's going to be a certain percentage of people that are never going to get their ass going. Mm. They're never going to – we're going to miss wasted potential of people who could have pulled their life together and become something really special mm. by overcoming these bizarre obstacles that lead you to success in any given field. But if all of a sudden you, you have all your food taken care of and your shelter taken care of and you just want to sit there and you're okay – but you like see, you have no. There's a certain amount of people that yeah. need a little something to get them going, yeah. and a lot of like really ambitious people came from poverty. Yeah, and it's because when they were young, they didn't have shit, and then they figured out that there's you got to work harder and you got to go after things. But I think we all have different personalities, and, and people are going to respond to poverty in different ways. And some people have a particular personality where they're wired more for the pursuit of status, where they're going to go, fuck this. this right. Not, you know, a certain other, percentage other are going to go won't. for it. They're going to use it and they're going to chase their dreams. Yeah. And my, so my argument is, is a bit, as, as, a, as a lefty is, is that a lot of that is genetic and, and can't be helped. So Really? Yeah. yeah so, genetic? Yeah. yeah How like, so? Like, so? So, you know, ballpark figure, 50% of who we are is, is genetic. So, so we all have different personality types. Right. And um, so if you're extrovert, um, that's a good thing in our neoliberal market economy because you're sociable, um, you're ambitious. Uh, if you're low in agreeableness, that's also a good thing in, in our particular um, uh, environment because you're competitive. But if, but if you're not those things and if you have a low IQ and if you are uh, – th- then you are you, – you, you know, you are going to struggle massively to compete in, in the world today. So – my argument is that is that those people deserve some help. You know, those those people deserve a, a social safety net because there's no such thing as a pure meritocracy because we're not we don't human brains don't roll off the production line at Foxconn. We're all wired differently with different talents, and the fact is, some people have low IQs. Some people have personalities which are antisocial, uh, which mean that they can't get on in human groups. They lose their temper, and we can try and help those people, but you can't completely rewire those people. Like it's impossible. For example, to turn an extrovert into an introvert because of, you know, because a, a lot of that is genetic. Like we're born with these semi-finished brains. So so genes aren't fate, but they do set us in a certain direction. And most of the rest of that kind of creation of self happens when we're young in the first 20 years of life. Um, and it's mostly sort of episodes of life over which, over which we have no control. So by the time we're in our 20s, early 20s, we're kind of who we are. Uh, there's not much that's going to change us in a dramatic sense apart from serious trauma. Um, so, so I think that's why we, you know, that idea of neoliberalism with cushions, I think there are categories of people that are always going to need our help through no fault of their own because they're just not equipped biologically to deal with this hyper-competitive world that we're all born into these days. What percentage of people that do have the potential to break out of that won't because of 
a social assistance net that's a little bit too comfortable? Well, I, I, I think... Is there a, a percentage that I, we're going to lose? I don't know. But, but, but I think what we need to have is... I mean, I think that's why education is so important, because a good school system will find those incredible, talented people. Yeah. Like my father was from a family of bricklayers going back generations, and he had a scholarship to Oxford University. You know, you... you, you yeah, a great school system discovers those people and motivates them and tells them you could have incredible stuff if you just do a bit of work. You've got an excellent mind and an excellent personality, and and I, and I think that's the that's the job of the school system is to is to is to is to find those people and give them the very best education they can possibly have. And again, that's a that's a welfare kind of social safety net oh, yeah. tax, big sort of slightly bigger tax thing. That certainly is. But the idea of just straight money and housing. Oh, right. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Straight money and housing is a different kind of social safety mm. net. And I think that there's a real good argument for what you're saying that some people are just they just don't have the tools. Mm. But then there's also a good argument that some people have never been given the opportunity to excel in a thing that they're interested in because mm. they never really found a thing they're interested in. Mm. It's just getting so – there's some people that were like led very unspectacular lives and then they found this one thing and they got really good at that one thing and became a superstar at it. And they'll, they'll tell you, you know, I was 28 years old. I was just kind of fucking around one day with my friends and then – I really got into it, and then I started. And then next thing you know, like this guy's like a like a famous person in the field or whatever it is. That happens. That does happen. But it probably happens less if you have everything taken care of. Mm. So there's a bunch of things going on. There's people that are kind of hopeless, unfortunately, and mm. maybe that is uh, a genetic thing. Maybe at least some of them it is a genetic thing. But then there's also people that are uninterested. And maybe uninspired, and maybe they just maybe it's not as simple as them going to school. It's just maybe like seeing someone around you that lives life in a way that you admire. Mm. Someone who's like, I want to be like that guy, Mm. or I want to be like her. Like, what is that? And where? How do you get that to people? Because that's a big factor. That's a giant factor in who you become uh, as an adult human being. It's like who are you exposed to? As a child. Absolutely, yeah. So there's a really great academic, he may have even been on this, I don't know, called Joseph Henrich, who's done lots of work in how we operate in groups. And he, he's done this research that shows um, that um, those people that we kind of glom onto, you know, especially when we're young, but, but we never stop doing it, um, there, there are various cues in our environment that we subconsciously seek out to mimic people one of them is similarity so 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 we identify people who are a bit like us so men are more likely to glom onto men women women that kind of thing um and then there's, there's other various cues there's like um uh skill cues so if we see somebody's really competent at something we'll be you know we, we'll start to mimic them and copy them um there's success cues so the, the the symbols of success so the fast car or in the tribal context the the necklace of teeth um, and, 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 then, and, and then the other one is um, prestige cues. So if we see lots of other people attending to one person, we'll also attend to them. And then um, they, the, the, the psychologists call this the Paris Hilton effect, where the more people look at somebody, the more people look at them, and it just goes into this runaway thing until you get somebody like Paris Hilton who's got no apparently skill for anything, who becomes globally famous. So, 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 that, so, so, so the brain's always looking for these people um, to um, sort of, identify and then copy and and the logic is that these people are high status they 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 they've worked out how to earn status in the game that we're playing and so by copying them we too will learn and 
and, and rise in status. Mm. So I guess that's just a long-winded way of saying that role models are really important. And I think that's why we see, you know, the government always worries about issues of like street gangs in socioeconomic, low, low, you know, in poor places, yeah. jihadist groups in those yeah. places. And the reason we have street gangs and jihadist groups isn't because boys will be boys and they're naughty, they're criminals, they're monsters. <laughs> they're it's, it's because they need status. And so if you're a, if you're a young man growing up in a horrible estate in South London and you're 14 years old and you want status and you've got a choice, I'm going to work in the supermarket stuck in shelves or I'm going to become a drug dealer and drive a Ferrari. What are you going to choose? Yeah. So, 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 so that's what society needs to figure out. It's kind of what you were saying is, is, that, is that we need to give young people, especially in lower socioeconomic groups, more opportunities to earn status. I mean, that's one of the things about being middle class is that you get all those opportunities to earn status. You get education, you go to college, you can choose all these careers. But poorer people just don't have those opportunities. And so I think you're right. I think lives are wasted. Val- human value is wasted because those opportunities just aren't made for young people. You ever listen to Gangstar? No. Gangstar has a song about it called Just to Get a Rep. Oh, really? Yeah. It's all about people doing things just to get a reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there was a a, um, a a guy in the seventies who went to this. It was Nigeria in Africa, and there used to be this um, roy, like a like a run by the royals, so aristocratic um, rulers, and then these jihadists came in and just got rid of them all. And he was curious. This guy, his name was Bascom, I think. That what Jerome Bascom. Why is it that Islam is really popular in this place? Because it, they should, it should be hated because they've, they've swept away everybody's um, status games, the existing status games they were playing. So he went in and he, and he met two uh, former like, descendants of the royal, royalty. And one of them was a, a, a peanut seller and he was miserable. And he was kind of stooped and depressed and struggled in his marriage and was bitter because he used to be this big man and now he was nothing. And the other guy had gone into you know, the Islamic, the Muslim, the status game of Islam. Mm. And, he, you know, he learned the Quran uh, by the age of 16, which is very prestigious. So he was you know, killing it. So he, and yeah, and he, so, 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 so he was killing it. So he, um, he, he was proud. He had multiple wives. He was happy. Nice. So he wasn't wealthy, but he was happy. So he, so he said, you know, that's why Islam was popular in, in that place. It's because it was offering a, a new and functional status game. So when you've got nothing... Um, you, f- you find a game to play if you want to be successful in your own mind and in your own, in your own health. And, and, and so that, that's how Islam became so popular and successful there. And that's how, you know, how religions become popular generally. They offer people who have not much else reliable paths to status. Yeah, that's why they try to squash them as quick as they can in this country when new <laughs> yeah. ones pop up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thus Waco, you know? Yeah. And thus uh, so many of them. Well, that's what again. That's what happens in, under communism and Nazism. One of the first things they do is they get rid of all the other rival status games. Yeah. Like a big one in the Soviet Union was the the, the Christians. You know, they, they they would torture and kill them. Uh, yeah, yeah, because it was because uh, and it's still in China today. They, Uyghurs. You know, yeah, it's yeah. Um, they, they, they see religion as a rival status game, and you can't have that in a big totalitarian state. Whew. Yeah, the Uyghur one's a crazy one, right? Because mm. it's hard to get information about mm. what exactly is going on what mm. are they making these people do yeah it's um such a strange subject in that it's so pivotal it's it's so crucial 
to understanding how human beings behave and what we do, but yet it's so rarely addressed. Yeah. Instead, they look at all the symptoms. Yeah. Everybody looks at all the uh, side effects and all mm. the, the problems, but they're not looking at the actual pattern that people seem to just naturally fall into. Yeah, I was amazed when I wrote the book that nobody had written it before because it's, <laughs> because it's just, it just seems so fundamental. Yeah. And I think part of the thing is that people are in denial about their own interest in status. Yeah, I think we've I evolved think so. to hide it from, from, from ourselves. And, and so, so, so people insist that they're not interested in status, but you, like you are, <laughs> Every, you are. like it's in your wiring. Everybody is like, n- nobody wants to be called an asshole yeah. at all. And, and, yeah. and that's because it's a, removal of your status yeah it's like that thing the i don't care thing of course you care everybody yeah. cares yeah like, it's and, nonsense and you get, get you get like self-help gurus saying you shouldn't care what other people think about you but it's like you, you're nonsense. always going to care it's what nonsense. Other people think about nonsense you. Talk. We, we're designed to care very deeply because other people give us our yeah our status so and also why would you not want to care because that's right. that's a psychopath like, <laughs> exactly yeah. that's the problem yeah. Yeah. the other thing yeah. they say is that how do we get out of the status game and it's like the same thing it's like we why would you want to because status is your reward for offering value to other people so why would you not want to offer value to other people that's like the definition of a loser right like if you <laughs> if you stop caring that yeah. other people think you're a valuable person then you really are those people that you were talking about that just have no get up and go. They then you're the Unabomber. There. Exactly. Yeah. The Unabomber really didn't like people. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he, he was another one. He was another guy that, that, that did, you know, the roots of the Unabomber is, is, is fascinating that he, that he went to, was it Harvard University yeah. and had the, those experiments? So, and, that, and that was an exercise in humiliation. Yes, it was the LSD studies. And part of the, what they did, when they would dose him up with LSD and they would do humiliating things to him and berate him yep. and... They, it was, they were doing it as an experiment. They were trying to see what they could do to him mm. and how he would react. And the fact that they were using LSD while they were doing this is so nuts. Yeah, they, they, they got him to – they said it was a kind of experiment. And the first thing to do was he had to write down in great detail all of his secrets, all of his hopes and dreams, like his most personal, important things. And then he was sat in a desk like this with lights shining in his face. And all these people were just mocking him, mocking him, mocking him, tearing him to bits. Mm. So absolutely humiliated him. And then what happened? You know, what, the, you know the, the story of his childhood too? I don't know the story of his childhood. When he was a baby, he was very ill. Mm. And so they brought him to an infirmary. And he wasn't allowed to have any contact with his parents for like months. So oh. for like several months while he was a child, I don't remember exactly how long, but it was horrifically long. He didn't get human touch. Which, you know, they didn't understand back then, I guess, that no. that's crucial to the yeah. development of a yeah. human being. Without it, you literally, a baby will go mad. Mm. And so then when he was older, one of the things his brother talked about, because his brother was the one who read the manifesto and recognized his brother's handwriting. Because it wasn't just a manifesto. It was the, way, the specific way that he was talking about things and mm. the way his understanding of technology and it was his brother. His mm. brother had this like crazy anti-technology philosophy a long fucking time ago. But mm. he was saying that like if he uh, made an advance on a girl and the girl rejected him, he would be horrific and wow. angry and mm. write letters and mm. just berate her. He, like it was crazy where he had to go, I mean, what the fuck are you doing? So he knew his brother was just broken. He was always broken. So to take that guy and yeah. then dose him up with LSD yeah. and humiliate him, yeah. like they made a fucking monster. Yeah, and, and, and who did he attack? Like the, the UN in Unabomber, his universities. He, he, he took his, you know, it was revenge on the intellectual class who were kind of creating this world he, he yeah. hated. It's like um, 
uh, you know, about Elliot Rogers, the, the the spree killer. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he felt rejected again and again and again by the by the pretty girls of the world. So his brain told him this horrifically misogynist story that girls, that women were the responsible for all the evils in the world, and decided to go out and you know kill a bunch of them. That's what the brain does. It tells us these stories that the people who are responsible for my lack of status are evil and they must be destroyed. Mm. It's a horrible pattern. Mm. It's a horrible pattern that people get into. Mm. And again, not not really that commonly discussed. No. It's only we only discuss the actions themselves, not the root cause of it. Mm. But how do you get a guy like El, that Elliot Rogers mm. guy? How do you how do you fix that? How do you stop that from happening? Well, he he left behind a, a, a like a I think it's eighty thousand word autobiography called My Twisted Life. Did somebody uh, publish it? it? He he put it on the internet before he did his killing. He's wow. he killed six people, and it's an incredible read. Like, <laughs> like I'm not joking. I really like yeah. It's it, it's it's horrific, but he's brutally honest about himself. Like he, oh. he like he you know he his life was absolutely miserable and so what i found was really interesting was that he that he, he he always starting in adolescence he felt where he was bullied relentlessly at school um and, and he, he he was desperate for a girlfriend and it, he just it was just weird around people in general but he was kind of holding it together because he was obsessed with world of warcraft so he would play world of warcraft obsessively he he got he got a lot of status in that he got to the highest level which apparently is a very rare thing to do and then what happens is that he he's just got these two or three friends that he plays World of Warcraft with at the Internet Cafe. And then he finds out one day that they, they're actually playing without him in secret because they don't want to play with him anymore. And that breaks him. That's the thing that breaks him. So he goes from just being a casual, uh, you know, very unpleasant misogynist to somebody who is mentally ill. He starts talking about how... Is that definitive, though? Because what did they say the reason why they stopped hanging out with him for? He might have been insane already. Well, he was certainly it wasn't. Been the, he certainly wasn't work. normal. But in in his in his memoir, he goes from being a yeah definitely a weirdo like without without a doubt. <laughs> but but then he starts then he starts telling a story where actually um, he, he's this kind of godlike character that 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 um, has a special insight in 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 the world. And the special insight is that um, all the evil in the world is because women choose jocks to procreate with and not, right. and, not, and not superior people like him so what he's going to do is take over the world and abolish sex uh, because <laughs> sex is at the root of all evil and and he's going to allow certain women to procreate under certain conditions but only for the continuation of the species and so so this he, he goes from just being a misogynist and an outcast to somebody who's mentally ill well call me cynical mm. but i don't think people not playing world of warcraft <laughs> with you can do that I have a feeling. Yeah, he might have already been out of his fucking mind. Yeah, he was. That's get- just me. Well, yes, he was definitely getting that way. But for me, it was interesting that his his only remaining source of status was World of World Warcraft, Warcraft. They was took it taken away from, away from him. Yeah, and and it was that day that when, was he, when he has this revelation. So maybe it's a coincidence. I bet he was already out of his fucking mind. Yeah, yeah. There's no way that just does it to you. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying he went it. from black the to status. white. It, it yeah. just went. He went from from being a horrible, awkward misogynist to somebody who was having these fantasies of abolishing sex and that he was a god. Like that's that's a that's a kind of difference. Yeah, it was the it pushed him over the edge. Yeah, that that, that's what I think. And there's a lot of people out there that are just on the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I think it's that's why I think it's healthy to have you know lots of different status games. You know, I think I think the healthiest people have multiple sources of status. 
Yeah, you were talking about that in the trigonometry podcast. Like, have more than one thing that you're interested in. Mm. That way, all of your emotional self worth is not invested in one particular thing that you do. Yeah, it's like I a hedge. Really good advice. Yeah, I try to follow that advice. <laughs> good. Yeah, I like to keep. I tell comedians too. You should have things you're interested in other than comedy. Have something you really love that's fun to do. Something yeah. you engage, not just something you watch, but something you do. That's why I joined this volunteered for this crisis line because it's like the only thing mm. I do is write. If this is taken away from me, right, right, right. It's it's that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, but also there's like something really powerful about helping somebody. Mm. You know, it's almost selfish. <laughs> it, but <laughs> you it, know what I mean? It is though. It is like it, like definitely. It's um, um, I mean that in the best possible way. I, yeah, I, I don't really think it's selfish. I think it's wonderful, <laughs> but I think it's kind of selfish in that when I do really nice things, it feels good too. But that's but, that, but that's again that's the uh, <laughs> it's the status game. It's like we yeah. we are wired to when we offer earn that kind of virtue based status, we're yeah. wired to feel good about ourselves. That's that's healthy. That's normal. Right. It's good. The fact that humans automatically reward each other and ourselves when we give to others is probably the most wonderful thing about our species. It's like an incredible thing that we do. Yeah. So it, it's, not, it's nothing to be, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of, that people feel good about doing good things. That's how it ought to be. That's, that's part of the reason why we do good things. We're wired to give to the tr- back to the tribe. Yeah. And the only thing that stops more of it is people that are in severe despair. Mm. And then they get real selfish because they have to. They're looking out for themselves. Mm. That's one of the major problems with not addressing all the horrible spots in a, in a country. It's like you're just going to have more people in despair, mm. less people that engage in this status game in, a, in an enjoyable way, in mm. a beneficial way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, that's one of those things that like crosses both ideological boundaries. It kind of – and this is where I think – we have a real problem is that so many people just subscribe to whatever one side believes because mm. of this status game. And they don't take any consider like, why am I attached to this idea? What does yeah. it have to do with the other ones that I like? Yeah. Like, why are they all lumped in together? How come if I believe this, I also have yes. to believe in that? <laughs> yeah. Because that's what it, what it is. Like, yeah. if I, if you tell me that you don't believe in climate change, I can guarantee you how you're going to vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's it. Like, like in the UK, like it's somebody that, um, Thinks that there should be more public money spent on buses. I can guarantee we'll you also how you're be, vote. but also we'll, we'll also we're more likely to be on the Palestinian side of the Middle Eastern conflict. One hundred percent. Buses, Middle East, yep. nothing to do with each other. But yep. they, but they and, and, and I've got. How this, do you feel about guns, sir? <laughs> yeah. Do you believe in the Second Amendment? Because I fucking do. And then I know how you're voting. That's it. I mean, I've got this kind of idea that that not once, always. Once you're past the age of forty-five or even forty. If all of your beliefs line up with left or right, then that something's gone wrong with your yes. life. Like by the time you're 45, you should be smart enough to have figured out that they've got some stuff right and they've got some stuff yes. right, and you should have decided for yourself which is which. Yes. That, that that's and so when I meet somebody that's my age and they're just giving this sort of list of talking points from left or right, I just think, oh God, you're yeah. you're 16. Yeah. You're a 16 year old. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's weird. Yeah, right? yeah. It's weird how some people will argue about something, and then when you just calmly and rationally ask him, like, why do you believe this? Yeah. Like, what's, what do you know about the studies that were involved in this? Like, what do you know about the origin of this? Like, what do you, like you, you can say it in the most peaceful way and just talk just like that, and they'll get hostile. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't have that information. Yeah. They just know that you must be some sort of a bad person <laughs> yeah. if you're not following the narrative. Yeah. Like, come on, we all know what's going on. 
We all know. What do you want, Trump to win? Yeah. Like, everybody, knows. everybody knows. Everybody yeah. knows. It's well known that. Yeah. Yeah. And they get angry yeah. with you. Yeah. Are you stupid? <laughs> Are you stupid? You really believe this? Like, I just want to know why you believe it. I didn't say what I believe. Yeah. And they, 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 but yeah. people can't engage like that. No. Very few people can, like, stand outside their ideas. And one of the things that I always try to tell as many people that listen, one of the things that's benefited me tremendously is when I stop being attached to my ideas. I don't mm-hmm. believe in my ideas. I do in the sense that these are some ideas that I have, and uh, I wonder if this is right. But if, if it's not right, I'm not, I'm not attached to it. Mm. Like, I can go, oh, I used to think that, but now I know this. And that doesn't diminish your worth. And, but what does diminish your worth is if you fucking cling to that other yeah. stupid thing, even <laughs> after you know it's not real. Yeah. That's just dumb. Yeah. Like, you're not your ideas. You're just a human being that's interfacing with a fucking shitload of information. And most of it, you're only going to have a peripheral understanding of. You know, how, ask most people, how's the sewage system work? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. know. It's so important. <laughs> yeah. You use it every day. How does it function without electricity? I flush. Yeah. It comes back. What the fuck's going on? Most people have zero idea, but it's like a critical part of their yeah. day. That's it. And it's just about active belief. It's the beliefs that, yeah. that become part of our identity. They're the dangerous ones. Right. Because th- 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 those are the ones that are, that, that are status generators for us. Our, yes. status is, our status depends on this idea that about biological women or mm-hmm. about who about white versus black men versus women and then once once you're in that yep. space you, you can't trust your own thoughts because no. your brain isn't thinking what's true your brain is thinking how can i defend this belief how can i defend this belief because this belief is me i yeah. am this belief this is my my status game is based on this belief yeah and it's a really dangerous trap that everyone can fall into all of us mm. that's why cults are so terrifying to me they're not terrifying to me because uh, i look at these people like oh they're so stupid you know, these, these fucking dummies are going to ruin the world. No, I, I, I'm terrified because that could have been me. Yeah. That 100% could. I mm. think it could be anybody. And I think we are naive to think that we're not subject to the same kind of capture that many, many people have gotten into. Mm. Whether it's communism or whether it's socialism or whether it's Nazism mm. or one of these crazy fucking cults where people cut their balls off and wear the purple sneakers, <laughs> yeah. you could get sucked into it. Maybe yeah. not you. Maybe you are at a certain level of your life where you have enough sophistication and understanding and you're good at reading people mm. and you can recognize bullshit. But maybe you, you, maybe you have enough for that, but maybe the next one will get you. Maybe mm. there's one that's a little bit better. And, you know, it's kind of a church, but it's a rock and roll kind of thing. And, you know, one of the good... So a thought experiment that I like is, is this idea that... that um, that kind of shows that your irrational beliefs are invisible to you. So when you think about the people that are close to you, like you can, you know, each one of those people, what they're wrong about, like this person, yeah. don't, get, don't get them talking about that. No, this person's mad about that. And then the further you go out from your social circles, the more wrong and mad and crazy people get to you, get to the bull cutting cult than the communists. So that just leaves you in the middle, the island, a perfect island of absolute rationality. <laughs> so, so you go, hang on a minute, that can't be right. So I'm not Jesus. Like, I must be wrong about some stuff. How convenient. But when you go looking for what you're wrong about, and you can't cheat by going stuff that you don't care about. They're like, what, what ideas are really important to you? Well, I'm not wrong about that. I'm not wrong about that. I'm not wrong about that. So you can't see it. You feel like Jesus. You feel like I'm the most correct person literally in the world. You know, logically, you can't be, but you can't see, you can't find what you're wrong about. Especially if you're rationalizing everything that you do mm. and every idea that you have as being the correct idea, yeah. which is why it's so dangerous. You're, you're 
value, your worth, should not be entirely your ideas. Mm. That's crazy. Mm. <laughs> it's a yeah. ba- terrible strategy <laughs> because you could have you could be hanging on to a bad idea, yeah. and then you have to cling on to it and defend it. You can't say, "Oh, that idea was bad," yeah, because that's you. You're yeah. bad. Well, that's I- what's stupid about it. It doesn't have to be that way. Mm. You can just think of them as ideas. It doesn't mean you. But if you irrationally defend an idea, then it is you. Yeah. Well, as soon as, as soon as that becomes an active belief, a belief that you're acting out in the world, that, 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 that's causing your behavior, that you're trying to spread to other people and convince other people it's true, yeah. then you're already on a slippery slope because yeah. you're already feel, think, feeling irrationally about and that. I've belief. seen it happen to brilliant people. Yeah. I really have. And it's so yeah. weird to watch. It's mm-hmm. like you lost them. They got bit by a vampire. Yeah, I, mean, I, I did a lot of writing about that. Do you remember the the, athe- the skeptics? Do you remember when they were mm-hmm. big? Yeah. yeah, those guys were great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but it always struck me that they they were also irrational about certain things. Yeah. And when I was doing my reporting, um, their, their their big kind of moral panic kind of status frenzy was homeopathy. They're obsessed with homeopathy, like, and they were like, because homeopathy is just empty pills and it's ridiculous right. and da 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 da. Um, so, but I just thought this is weird because we know the placebo effects works. It's a real thing. So surely homeopathy is just a very elaborate placebo theatre. It works as a placebo, so it still works. So I put this to um, a guy who was a big, famous atheist. Uh, he presented a sort of very famous podcast at the time, and I said, "What about the, the it's a, like it's a placebo effect? So it's, it's surely it's a valuable." thing homeopathy and he said no 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 that's not right the data is in on this we know about this he said um what we know is um the placebo is only psychological not physiological so if people think they're getting better but they're not getting better but it's like hang on a minute <laughs> if the perception of pain has decreased then the pain has decreased <laughs> like yeah. if the perception of your depression has decreased then the depression has decreased right. so, so, that so measure, like, like advil doesn't work yeah exactly so right? so it's like this guy who is incredibly smart and incredibly well known in the skeptic community had managed to convince himself that 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 the placebo effect was this fake thing that didn't really work because it was only psychological, just so to, to give him permission to sort of shit on homeopathy. And it, but does that was the a placebo effect work in terms of curing diseases? No. no. Things like pain. Zero? And, I don't just think pain? so. Yeah, things like pain and depression, things that are, yeah, so, 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 so it doesn't cure cancer, it can't shrink a tumor. But it does work with pain and depression. That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there were well-known studies that show that that, that that when you buy a brand... I always buy brand-name painkillers because it has greater placebo than the cheap supermarket-owned <laughs> brand. And it, it, even when you know it's the placebo, it still works more. So that extra few bucks that you're spending on the, the brand-name painkillers... Well, isn't there just it? a problem with calling yourself a skeptic? Because why not just be a thinker? Yeah. It's like, why, why are you specifically looking at things and it's, nah, I'm I know. cynical. You know, like, that seems silly. Yeah. There's a lot of things that are real. Yeah. Like, what do you do when you stumble across something that's real? Well, yeah. I used to be skeptical, yeah. but this turns out to be legit. Well, no, it's like you're yeah. just looking at everything, hoping it's not legit, because that's where you get your value in your status. Exactly. I mean, uh, in, in your status from calling bullshit. In, in that... Um, book i ended up meeting you know james, you must know james randy he was their big sure, yeah. he was their big god you know and he was um he he, he was a, a a very strange um individual and as part of the interview i challenged him a lot the, on a lot of the things that he'd claimed in his life and he ended up admitting to me that he was he'd lied and been dishonest about his achievements in the past oh no yeah what uh, achievements well achievements and also um lied a lot about the things he'd said about 
You know, he had this million dollar challenge. Yes. Yeah. So, so his whole thing was like, it's an easy thing to do. If you prove anything uh, that's um, supernatural or woo woo, he used to call it, you get a million dollars. And the fact that nobody had ever got this a million dollars was his proof that, right. that, that none of this could exist. But there is story after story after story after story of people applying for this million dollar challenge, him backing out at the last minute for spurious reasons and then attacking that person in public. Uh... Um, so, so that happened again and again and again. I think the worst instance of that was this uh, Greek, again, homeopathy person who, who'd spent something like half a million euros setting up a study in a hospital to, to test, properly test whether this homeopathy worked. And just on the eve of it happening, he, he, he insisted that it all had to start again and a pilot study had to be made uh-huh. and, 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 then, and, and then blamed the other guy for pulling out. Okay. So you know, I came to him with a, basically a binder full of this stuff and he eventually admitted, oh, yeah. You know, I, I have been dishonest. I have been untrue. Wow. But one of the amazing things about that was that was that I asked him at the end of the interview after he'd admitted, yes, I've lied about this stuff. Um, I said, have you ever changed your mind about anything? And he was in his 80s at the time, I think. He couldn't tell me a single thing wow. that he had ever changed his mind about. That seems that crazy. That is not a critical thinker. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stubborn asshole, if you, <laughs> yeah. if you ask me. And on that note... Hey, man, thank you very much for being here. This was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And like I said, I enjoyed your interview on trigonometry. And I recommend everybody go. It's a great podcast anyway. Uh, so thank you very much. And thank you for the book. And thank you for being able to like lay this out in such a, like I said, digestible way. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been amazing. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. Look, it's important to take care of yourself, and it's equally important that you use the right products like Dr. Squatch. They have high-performing natural soaps and more with no harmful ingredients, so you can look and smell your best. Try their pine tar bar soap and lotion, bay rum deodorant, or woodland pine cologne. Most of their scents are available across multiple products, so if you really like it, you can get a whole lineup. And right now, they have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or a subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash JRE or use the code JRE at checkout.